This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Cranch. <laughs> I love you. Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. In the, in the big spot, who delivers better than this guy? <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I agree. Welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast. I'm Rich Cranch alongside, as always, the leader of the hardcore wrestling intelligentsia, Mr. Joe Landa. Joe, what's going on? No King of Banter this not, week. Check it out. Not much. No, 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 no more of that. But not much going on. I mean, uh, Twitter's been very quiet over the last few days. Yeah, so, uh, yeah especially when you don't log in. It's it's particularly quiet when you avoid it, like the plague. So, Not a ton going on, but uh, I want you painting Roy's hot takes. You know, oh, God. You know, Please, dear God. No. It. no, they and don't. I, no, I, no. I don't. I no. don't you know, the, the, the subscribers, as I told them on the TV reviews today, I, I as I correctly predicted, you would not have Peyton Royce v. Dave Meltzer on the run sheet today and uh that is correct it appears nowhere on the run sheet so um you know uh, listen you know i i gave my peyton royce v dave Meltzer hot takes already and the listeners are demanding it rich they demand your peyton royce v dave Meltzer uh hot take or what what is it now it's it's uh it'd be it's be peyton royce x dave Meltzer. isn't that what all the cool wrestling promotions are doing now when they uh when they face off with each other um and have interpromotional uh matches where did they get that from they get that from the gaming world i think from the gaming world yeah i think it, it, it comes from the esports world with the x which is kind of cool i like the I like the x a little bit it's better than a slash slash is kind of you know I, I don't know like the ceo x new japan is, is one that you're kind of referencing there that was pretty good yeah and, and, yeah. and progress had X MCW and X EPW and all oh, that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, Australia. yeah. Of course, which always confused me for a while until I realized what the the root of it was. Um, yeah, I don't really think I want to touch that <laughs> topic at all. It's just as I said to the subscribers. Why would I want to do that, Joe? Why, what pulling is, his, he's it, pulling on his collar. He's going. Eh, in what yeah, world would I want to talk I don't about? I want to touch on that. So no, yeah, it's, it's not it's worth the, it. There's no points. You know, that's the old none of our business. I think is what you're trying to say. Pretty much. Uh, yeah. I mean, Captain, that's, that's, that's kind of between them. I mean, I think the one thing I and I, and I made this tweet a little bit earlier uh, or made it yesterday when this whole thing was going on is just in, and whether whatever you want to think, I don't care, but at least know the context of what you're getting mad about. If you want to get mad about it and you read the entire thing and you read the entire transcript and you heard what he said and you knew the topic, then that's fine. If you would think that that was annoying or he was way out of line with what he said or, or, or whatever, I don't care. That That's perfectly fine with you if you think that. I could see a lot of people would say that, but the reaction to a tweet or the reaction to this is what he said or the reaction to this is what I think heard him say through this other that's the stuff that gets me i just i don't care i just want people and you and you always scream about this too just know the context of what you're getting mad about if you're gonna get mad about it i don't care that's fine you are full on your rights to get mad about it but know the fucking context of what you get mad about and the context is not five seconds of a clip of a 20 uh, you know a 20 minute segment or whatever a 10 minute segment because that's i heard a lot of people saying well i posted the audio yeah but you posted three minutes of the audio and it was a 10 minute long segment like 
the 10 minutes is important to know what the whole point is. And again, when you're done with that 10 minutes, if you still go, yeah, well, that was really shitty or wow, geez, he's really out of line there. That's fine. I don't care, but don't react to two minutes of a 10 minute segment. That's just the worst shit you could possibly do. So there's my hot take on it. We got Rich's take. I didn't think he'd comment at all, but I, you know, um, I think also know uh, what you're I'm, mad about. Be mad about the right thing too. Is also right. one of the things. Like again, like if you want to be mad that Dave said that her implants make her a worse worker, that's fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? I see how I could I could understand getting mad about that. To me, it doesn't bother me all that much. But I could absolutely see, and I, and I totally respect anybody who says, "Well, that's really shitty of him to say." Da da da. That's fine. But the Dave Meltzer calls Peyton Royce fat. Like you're not you're not listening to the. That's not what he's talking about. And that's unfortunately one of the Dave's things too. Is he he tries to beat around the bush a little bit instead of just saying what he means and he ends up because he's Dave. And, and if you don't speak Dave, you have no idea what the fuck he's talking about. If, if I knew exactly what he was talking about when he went, I, you know, a little bit of weight, I knew that he meant her implants. Cause that's Dave. I've listened to Dave for 10 years now, 15 years. I, I know how to speak Dave, as you always say. So I knew what he was talking about. But if you just hear a clip for two minutes, you hear him say that and you hear everybody kind of going nuts. Oh my God. He called Peyton Royce fat or whatever. It, that wasn't what he said at all. That wasn't, wasn't what he was alluding to, which I, again, if you want to be mad about him talking about the implants, that's fine. You can absolutely be mad at that. I don't disagree with that entirely. I think there's some points to be made on, on both ends, but I don't entirely disagree. If you think that Dave Meltzer shouldn't be commenting on, you know, women's implants, but to just know what you're mad about, you know, <laughs> be mad about the actual thing that's happening as opposed to something tell other people tell you to be mad about. That's kind of, it, so look i did 18 minutes on it already so i don't really have anything to add um the the only the only thing i'll say is um it's like dave if dave just would have said to begin with if he just would have said the words breast implants to begin with he wouldn't be in this mess he'd have people mad at him for talking about breast implants but it wouldn't be nearly to this extent where it became this whole giant ordeal he would just have some people who are mad at him because they don't think, you know, dude should talk about breast implants, right. which we've personally been down that road. And I think that's silly as long as the context of what you're saying, you know, fits the scope of what you do, which in this case totally fits the scope of what Dave does. Um, but because he was so awkward and he was a clearly afraid to say breast implants because he was because ironically enough, he was afraid of the blowback it might get. And then, he, because he botched it so badly and used the word lighter, I can totally see why people thought he was calling her fat. Because not everyone speaks Dave. And not everyone understands that he was awkwardly vomiting words at that point in his, in his effort to not say breast implants, which he just should have said. You know? Uh, let people be mad at, at, at things like that. It's okay if they're mad that you said breast implants. But now you're in this bigger mess because you, you stuttered to find alternate words and you picked the worst word on earth. Right. <laughs> Not great. Because you yeah, made people lighter. think you were calling her fat. So I think – I don't know if you listened to his 36-minute apology. Uh, unfortunately, uh, I did. Yeah, I started my morning with that, which I kept I, – I, so I, I, like, I'll usually listen to Observer Radio you know, while I'm taking a shower or whatever. And that thing was going on and on and on. Yeah. And then I, I get in my car. I've made my breakfast. I've made my lunch. I'm in the – and it's still going. I'm like, oh, God. Like, what are we doing? doing the one the best line that he had this the best thing that he said was um and 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 i wrote it down but i guess i'm paraphrasing because i don't have a word for word is he said look what i meant doesn't even matter because of the way i said it yeah 
And I think that was a a, a great oh, every show every Rich. time. <laughs> a very I think that was a great way to put it and a great way to accept culpability for what he said. And that really nails it. It's like he 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 was in a tricky spot. He can't go out there and say, look, no, 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 I meant breast implants because then inevitably, Rich, everyone's going to say, well, now you're deflecting and you're not taking responsibility. And but So it's a real tricky spot. Even though that's the honest truth, you can't say that at that point. So he said, look, it doesn't matter what I meant. You know, it's, it's, it's the way that I said it is the problem. And then I thought he came off way better on audio than he did with the apology tweet. But that's not because I thought he was trying to skirt responsibility, trademark uh, Mark Maxwell, or or try to uh, weasel his way out of the trouble he was in on Twitter. I just think Twitter is a horrible platform for everything, in particular defending yourself with something like this or issuing an apology. So he came off much better on audio, even though it went on for like fucking 40 minutes. So Right. And, um, and a reason, uh, another thing that we're doing to... Uh... <laughs> try to help the fact that Twitter sucks and we don't really want to be on it all that much voicewrestling.com slash newsletter go to that link and you can uh, get our weekly newsletter so you stay up on uh, all the stuff that's going on for the website so if you decide hey Twitter's not really quite for me or I'm not really enjoying Twitter these days because it's a cesspool or whatever that's fine then you'll you'll still be able to keep up on all the uh, the good news, uh, the good stuff going on on uh, voice of wrestling so yeah voicewrestling.com slash newsletter great way to uh, subscribe to that well you know the you know the thing no one's talking about about this is moving away from dear you God know, please stop talking about this no 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 this is interesting Interesting though, Rich. This is interesting. What really struck me about all this is how Dave Meltzer doesn't talk to modern WWE wrestlers anymore. And do you know how I know that? Do you know how I know they're not listening to his audio? Do you know how I know that they're not reading his newsletter? Do you know how I know that he's probably not talking to many of those people in the back? Because this audio came out a week ago and no one said a word until Peyton Royce caught wind of it and listened to it herself. Then the whole locker room rallied behind her and made their tweets and dunked on Dave. Rich, this is not 1987. This is not 1997. This is not even 2007. That locker room does not read or listen to Dave Meltzer. And I think that became abundantly clear over the last 48 hours. Agree or disagree with that? No, for sure. And that, that is really good. I, uh, part of this. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you actually you went on this. You know, I, I really I was worried, but you went on a good route. It was a really good topic. No, no one's um, talking about this. And I, yeah, and I was yeah. and, and watching from afar and staying out of it and just watching the world burn. I'm like, holy shit. If they're just becoming aware of this now, that means they don't listen or read the, the, this guy anymore. You know, and, and, you know, whether, you know, the whole litany of people who jumped to defender, it was a large portion of the locker room. And I think a lot of people had some really good, you know, Tyler breeze had some excellent tweets. I thought, um, I thought, uh, you know, but, but my, my point here, yeah, I, I don't think he, I don't think Dave Meltzer is part of the WWE locker room culture anymore. And that clearly was the case for three decades. Now, look, we know he has his influence elsewhere. I mean, that's obvious. I mean, you know, there's other people who pay a lot in wrestling, who pay a lot of attention, but I don't think that locker room does anymore because this would have been a story last week, not this week. Yeah, that, that is a really fascinating thing too. And I do wonder, you know, and, and with obviously not knowing anybody in the locker room or not having any sources to, to know what people read and what they, because I, I know that they still consume wrestling content. We, we know that, that oh, wrestlers yeah. do that. They're reading sites. They're listening to podcasts. I know for a fact, and, and you know, I've heard from people as well, that then in the locker room, some of those people do listen to the, the Conrad Thompson things, whether it be the Bruce Pritchard, the Eric Bischoff thing. And that, you know, obviously has a certain tone and tenor to it, a very negative melter thing. So I think that's helped kind of perpetuate a little bit too. 
But I think the overall point that you're talking about, not necessarily the negative on Meltzer, just that nobody really is listening to him. Nobody's really consuming that anymore where, you know, we would know at a time, you know, you, you and I both started on the Observer Board many, many years ago, 10, God, 10 plus years ago. And we knew that there was like certain posters that were like wrestlers, you know what I mean? Like guys that you knew or like people would sort of sniff these guys out in terms of people that would sign on at certain times and make posts at certain times. And there was always this idea that like, okay, this is this guy or like, and it was kind of underground. Nobody ever really called those guys out, you know, point blank, but there was an, uh, an idea of these guys you know both in the indies and main roster WWE and just all over the place that you knew that those guys were reading it and or you just knew guys that that were consuming the observer on a regular basis by ways that they would do things moves they would do just things that they would do you could sort of tell pretty obviously that they were observer subscribers or you go back to like knowing obvious you know source guys you know Chris Jericho for, for years a Brian Pillman for years a Conan for years you knew that those dudes had influence in it and even people mentioned it at the time even if you hear guys that talk about the, the observer Dave Meltzer and even if they are bashing him they'll say that in the locker room they knew that guys are reading them they would see guys huddled around the piece of paper reading through it and kind of maybe whether it was joking at it or, or kind of really studying it but point blank they were reading them I mean god there's a fucking segment I think it's WCW World War 3 1995 I think where they're literally burning observers on the, on the air do you remember that segment where it's like yeah. it's like Macho and Hulk Hogan being like or because I think Dave said that Macho Man had an arm injury and Macho said no I didn't have an arm injury even though he absolutely had an arm injury and didn't miss a ton of time because he kept working through an arm injury but they were like burning observers on the air I mean that that would never I mean today these days that's so long gone I mean that's just not even a thing because as you said he's out of sight out of mind for a lot of those people yeah you know especially a lot of the younger wrestlers i you know they the wrestlers who grew up with the internet where sort of you know dave's function to following the inner workings of wrestling you know his his you had other outlets aside from subscribing to the observer if you grew up in that environment i think those younger wrestlers who grew up into a world with the internet and we definitely have people of that age on the roster. They, they never, they never subscribed to the observer the way, you know, wrestlers in the past did. They didn't, you know, they're not, they're not right. Well, and, and you really don't need to, I mean, I do because that's just kind of a thing that I've always done, but I think a, one of the issues too, is you can go to insert wrestling site.com here and every Wednesday and Thursday it's, it's littered with, you know, via, you know, Per the Wrestling Observer via sportskeeda.com, uh, Dave Meltzer reports that you know what I mean? Like it's that sort of stuff. Like you can get every bit of content that comes in the observer by just going to those sites because those sites are content factories on Wednesdays and Thursdays, chopping up every little paragraph that Dave wrote and putting it for themselves. And that's you know, for better or for worse, what that's they do. Where the, and that's where the modern wrestler is getting right Dave stuff and they don't even know it. Right. They're going um, to, you know, one wrestling.com or WrestleZone or, or any number of, you know, I have a, I have buddies at work that go to, uh, well, I forget what the hell one they even go to. Uh, just uh, once I see it, I'm like, why are you on that site? Like, what the hell are you doing? Like, you know, you don't have to be on that site, but that's just how they consume wrestling media is through these, these other random sites. And there's people that do great work on, on some of those sites, but there's also sites that are just exclusively post Dave Meltzer paragraphs on Wednesdays and Thursdays. That's that's their job or, or, you know, whatever he put in the daily update or transcribing something, some news note that he put in the Observer Radio and transcribing that into a story. But this was not a story that anybody transcribed until, you know, <laughs> until she got wind of it. Um, right. That's what I'm so. saying. It's like they're, they're, you know, and I see some of the people tweeting in her defense, which I'm not. It, it, the point of this diatribe is not to knock any of those people. They can defend her if they want. I don't, my point is Kona Reeves is not patiently refreshing (laughs) his laptop waiting for the observer to go up. I don't buy that for a second. Alexa bliss uh, probably doesn't know what the wrestling observer is. I mean, you know, these are younger wrestlers who, who have no use for that. 
and didn't grow up with that. And, and it's just not the same culture anymore. And it really shined a giant fucking spotlight on this uh, with some of the reactions that they were getting from inside the locker room. Now, look, are some of them showing out? Come on now. Of course they are. Um, you know, are some of them reveling in the chance to take a shot at Dave because they don't like the shit that he writes about them? Sure. There's obviously an element of that, too, and it'd be foolish to deny it. But I think a lot of it also is when a lot of them say, well, who the fuck is Dave Meltzer? Who's this old guy? I think they mean it because to them, he is nothing because they didn't grow up on him and they don't care about him. They don't read him and they don't listen to him. And there, was and an I interesting, think I, there was an interesting word you, you said right there, and it was need. They don't need Dave Meltzer. And I think in one sense, you mentioned that they don't need him because they can consume. And we talked about that. They can consume Dave Meltzer news or, or any sort of report reporting coming from the observer. They can, they can consume it in a number of different ways on a number of different sites. There's also the need factor of Dave was used for a long time as leverage, as get me, help me get a better contract, help me get a better spot, let me complain about something that's going on, let me shine light on something that's happening. Let me, guys are not upsetting that apple cart anymore in, in WWE main roster. Seth Rollins isn't sending stuff to Dave for him to post so that Vince McMahon can hear about it and then wonder who, you know, you know what I mean? Or like sending stuff and like feelers to WCW, even though he can't contract, contractually can't do that or whatever. That you know, that was what it was for a long time. Brian Pillman ran an entire fucking angle, you know, basically doing that sort of yeah. stuff and working Dave and working the observer to get an amazing deal from WWE to, you know out of uh, out of out of out of Vince McMahon and, and and whatever worked Bischoff and worked McMahon and worked Dave in a lot of ways and and, and used Dave as a kind of a Conan what was famous for doing that too of, of kind of working that different too and and there's many guys that did that so there used to be a need for him in that sense that that he used to be in some ways a weird sort of underground power broker where you could say things that you wanted to get out there you could sort of have the tea leaves out there that oh this person is looking to leave and, and looking for new contracts or whatever which would then allow wcw to kind of contact your guys and, and, and figure that stuff out so there used to be as you said we say a need in terms of how to consume it and then a need in the sense that it could help your career none of the, the observer helps nobody's career in in WWE main roster anymore i mean we can talk about guys in new japan and whatnot but i don't believe really that that yeah, like you said, an Alexa Bliss. Let's go over. I don't think Alexa Bliss needs to use the leverage of the observer to get her anywhere in in that company. No, and in the earliest days of the observer, you would use it to follow the rest of the business. If you were a wrestler, you would say, "Okay, Rock and Roll Express just left this territory." We're a disgruntled babyface team in our territory. Maybe we should give notice and try to get in. You know, you know what I mean. Like wrestlers would use it in that manner too. Right, right. Uh, just to, you know what's going on everywhere else, and, and that's not the case. And you're probably old enough to remember waiting by. I know I, I am, and I've got a few years on you, but waiting by the mailbox because getting the Observer was your source of news for the week. Like you, you didn't know shit until you got the Observer, and those weeks where the mail wouldn't, where you wouldn't get it, in t- you know, by Saturday, and then you have to wait till Monday to get it, were torture, because it's like and you didn't had no pulse on what was going on because the internet was in its infancy or whatever the case may be, and that was the news, you know, and 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 that was your only outlet. And again, there's no need for that anymore. I, I really don't think it really. It, this week has shown me, if nothing, and I, and I knew this was somewhat the case, but it really shined a light on it for me that. That locker room is just not in tune with anything that Dave Meltzer is saying or writing, um, you know, at minimum, at least to the extent that it was uh, in the past. Yeah, and that works vice versa, too, because I think now more than ever, Dave really doesn't have his finger on the pulse of what's and going on in the company at all. Exactly, like, because, right. he, because he doesn't have the sources because no one is paying attention to him or talking to him or using him for leverage or is pals with him. It's a new generation. 
you know, all his pals are gone. They're either retired or they're gone or, you know, it's, you know, look, you're going to get your occasional people, uh, you know, that, that are in touch with them and do talk. But I, I'm just, to the extent that it was even 10 years ago, I don't even think that's, cl- I, I, I just, I just don't think that's the case. And the more time passes, the less in tune with that locker room that he's going to be. Um, and I think that's just, you know, you, you gotta, I'm not going to look far be it for me to tell him how to do his job. Um, you know, he's made a career of it and he's probably a wealthy man, but you, you have to continue to make new sources in that business. And I'm, and I'm not so sure that Dave has done a very good job, um, you know, uh, in the last decade or so making sure that he has sources in that particular locker room. Look, I think in other places, you know, people are screaming at the radios, you know, Young Bucks, Omega. Yeah, those guys, obviously. And and, and probably some people in some other companies. Yeah. Oh, and Indies, Indies use them for leverage a lot, too. I mean, we, we a few months ago read that card. Remember how he, you know, Dave posted that some, you know, mega superstar show was coming to the Chicagoland area with top indie talent. And I was like, what the fuck? I've never heard of this or whatever. And I look and it's like, garbage there's nobody i mean we remember we read over it it was like bone yeah. crusher and like tito the, the you know the extreme or whatever and i was like who the fuck are these guys and they never even heard of that company but dave posted verbatim because somebody that, that that guy probably emailed him and said hey dave we got a there's an awesome big time indie show going on in chicago and he just copied and pasted it that company got more publicity than they've ever gotten because i don't even know what the fuck that company was and nobody ever heard of them until he got in there so i think there is a benefit in terms of the indies like you said being the elites is a great example the, kenny omega obviously used it uh for for some different leverage new japan in some ways has has used it too but also like a ring of honor type uh, uh you know nwa is obviously utilizing the, you know that sort of so that he does have importance in that sort of market but WWE and those wrestlers have realized that, and they're almost in a different world and we talk about it all the time where where it yeah. almost feels like WWE is its own universe in terms of wrestling. Like they've kind of created their own little bubble universe yeah. where nothing else, you know, the, the other, everybody else seems like they're doing something and then WWE is doing their thing. And it, it feels like they're, yeah. they're not. And the Observer is a great example of that too, where all the other rest of the wrestling world can still sort of utilize or, or, or find some benefit to it. Whereas the, the, the company itself, the roster, the wrestlers within the roster, all that sort of stuff, there's just no need for, for somebody like him anymore in, in their... And- one last point, and then we'll move on. There's something else I know you want to get to. Um, you brought up Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega going on Dave's radio show and working Dave into thinking that his contract was coming up was exactly what you were talking about earlier, but the new age way of planting a story in the Observer. In the old days, you would call up Dave or fax him and get that little nugget thrown in the Observer. And use that for leverage, you know, in 2017 or 2018 or 2016, whatever that radio show was, Kenny Omega just went on Dave's podcast and planted that story himself. So he used, he used Dave's show as the, as the, as the tool and just threw it out there that his contract was coming due. When it, that's, when it, that's still one of my favorite. We, we talked about it. We broke it down exactly where he goes. Yeah, I'm not sure what I'm going to do, but yeah, matches I want to have this year, Tomohiro Ishii, Tatsuya Naito, Okada, Tanahashi. And it was like, oh, that's weird. You just named New Japan guys, but you're still not sure where you're going to be. In, and, you know, and he days. not only named New Japan guys, he named all the guys he then feuded with that year. <laughs> right, exactly. Which means, he, which means he knew his plans. And, right. he knew, and, and, and we had been told for, for weeks, if not months, that he was signed through that year already. We, we went to the New Japan office and they literally said to us, no, what are you talking? No, he's signed. We're not worried at all. He's not leaving. We have him under contract. 
so yeah, that's the new age version of what you were talking about. And it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's the observer itself, the, the print newsletter, which I, who still gets the print news. That's the thing. No one's locking themselves in a bathroom stall. In, in, in the WWE locker room to read <laughs> right. the Observer anymore, so, so Vince or Pat Patterson doesn't catch him reading it. I mean, it's just it's just a, it's it's a different world, and that that really became abundantly clear. Um, but uh, I wonder if they're reading the Observer in the Global Force Wrestling locker room. Yes, that's that's an interesting point. So so one thing I wanted to say is is and it's it's a, a fitting week as well because we we have talked about this before that the things that our show has been defined by you know this 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 show this website we've really followed the Okada Tanahashi story almost in the beginning of this podcast through it and we talked about we got kind of emotional when we talked about their last match which which felt like it would be kind of a big culmination match this is obviously before the one they had uh you know last week and, and we'll talk about that one here in a bit and that's why it's fitting so that always felt like that was part of it the rise of Okada the Okada Tanahashi feud that always felt like our site sort of aligned with that and has kind of followed that and done the ebbs and flows with that another thing that our site has always kind of went with and the ebbs and flows with is Jeff fucking Jarrett, the greatest businessman in the history of the world. And I had to talk about this again. We're going to get to the G1. We're going to preview SummerSlam. The we're gonna greatest businessman in the history of the world. I mean, do, do you have someone better, Joe? I'm willing to listen to someone better. Someone who's made the most out of this <laughs> Joe, global the force wrestling. Businessman in the history of the world. Uh, T Boone Pickens. T Boone Pickens is good, but has anybody maximized? So little for so much. I mean, he has, Jared has taken global for, think of what he's done with global fucking force wrestling. Okay. How how about the Amazon guy? Everybody hates Bezos. Bezos? Yeah. But Jeff Bezos offered something, you know what I mean? He did a product. He busted his ass. He lost money in that company for 15 years and, and still claims to lose money, even though he flies, you know, in cold-plated jets or whatever. But Wait a minute. You know. He doesn't claim to lose money. Though. No, does he anymore? I don't know if he still does or not. That's... He can't claim to lose. Okay, no. Doesn't I he make, that. like, a million dollars every a 16 second. hours yeah. or something? Or <laughs> I think eight? so, yeah. He doesn't. I don't think he claims to lose money. But, but, all, uh, but yeah, I get you mentioned, all those people you mentioned, oil tycoons, Ted Turner's and whatnot, they all offered something. They worked. Jeff Jarrett has maximized... Every last fuck, he has bled whatever global force wrestling was fucking dry and has gotten. Think of what Jeff Jarrett has done with global force wrestling. He taped some shitty ass shows in a ballpark, you know, paid shows, by the way, with, with like, you know, okay talent at the time. He tapes these shows, nobody picks them up. He tries to get them picked, nobody wants them, nobody picks them up, nothing ever happens. Eventually, for some godforsaken reason, Impact decides, ah, this guy, we need to get this guy back in. They rebrand their entire company around Global Force Wrestling. Jarrett gets go- to go. Remember when he was going to indie shows too and doing those seminars? I went to a Dreamwave oh, show where Jeff yeah. Jarrett was at because he was like, he would lie to the, you know, <laughs> he was doing these Global Force seminars, the database show. Remember the database that he was compiling? Da- I remember the database. <laughs> the database. He was compiling a database of the greatest wrestlers in the world. So all that was was you pay Jeff Jarrett to come to your indie show. And he'll look at your talent and go, ah, hmm, okay, maybe I'll maybe I'll add him to my database. And- hey, hey, follow Boz on national TV thanks to that database. <laughs> okay. okay, and I'm not even being facetious. No, that Somebody is true. Yeah. from the from the database. That okay. is true. Somebody did, did make follow Boz and Kevin Matthews of all people <laughs> from the database. So you know how deep that thing ran. Yeah, that was database. some database. So he turns that eventually. Impact decides to completely rebrand their entire company as Global Force Wrestling, for some godforsaken reason. Jarrett's out, because Jarrett is, is Jarrett, and he has a problem with the drink sometimes. And they 
Impact allegedly. then launches allegedly, right? Of course, <laughs> he was just tossing tacos and stumbling because he was, you know, in a good mood. Just you know, allegedly, and falling asleep in the locker room because he was allegedly falling asleep in the locker room. Listen, anyway, I, listen, I'm not getting cold cabanaed. Just yeah, say no, yeah, for sure. No, allegedly, you're right. You're right. You're right. God for second reason launches a streaming service, which is a good idea that they launch a streaming service. The for God for second reason is that they named it the Global Wrestling Network based off the branding of Global Force Wrestling. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You were perplexed at, at how the hell they were doing that, why they were doing that, whether these amp shows were on the, the Global Wrestling Network and all this sort of stuff. Um, oh, I forgot to mention that he also co-promoted a fucking Wrestle Kingdom <laughs> because yes, it was Global did. Force Wrestling. What the fuck? And supposedly made a ton of money doing so. <laughs> greatest businessman of all time. All right, are you starting He's- to see it a little bit? I might nothing. still go with T Boone, but uh, okay. He's got nothing. Global Force Gold. How much? He, I'm sure somebody bought Gold. Somebody bought Global Force Gold. There is somebody in this universe that bought Global Force Gold off the Jeff Jarrett Gold Standard, or whatever the fuck it was backed by. Yes. He has nothing. He has like a, a these, these few little tapings and a, a website that looked like shit. He had like press, whatever. Okay. Regardless, the news this week. Which proves once and for all that Jeff Jarrett is the greatest businessman of all time. And I'll read this exactly. Pressing sheet um, had the reporting on this, and, a, and a, has a lot of has the entire lawsuit as well available to read. Which I'm gonna I'm gonna read an excerpt from the lawsuit too because there's one part that I really did enjoy. Uh, Jeff Jarrett and Global Force Entertainment Inc. have filed a suit against Anthem Sports and Entertainment, alleging that the Global Force Wrestling merger never went through, and Impact has been wrongfully making money off of their IP. So Anthem Sports Entertainment, of course, Impact Wrestling, you know that. Uh, in May 2017, the two sides agreed to a term sheet regarding Jarrett's employment as Chief Creative Officer of Anthem Wrestling uh, and for the Global Force Wrestling merger. The term sheet, however, allegedly said that Global Force Entertainment would retain all rights to the show they filmed called Ant, the aforementioned Ant, the uh, random tapings that they did um, that Jarrett's been desperately trying to sell for the last four years. Uh, five months later, Jeff Jarrett was released from his position. In the lawsuit documents, uh, in the lawsuit documents, Jarrett and company claimed the merger was never officially completed, yet Anthem reproduced, distributed, publicly displayed, offered for sale, and sold the Global Force Wrestling Amped content without providing any compensation or royalties to Global Force Entertainment or Mr. Jarrett. Global Force Entertainment also has issue with Impact's Global Wrestling Network pointing to the similarity of the logo and claiming Anthem doesn't have a license to show Amped footage. Uh, Global Force Entertainment is seeking an award of punitive and uh, triple damages for at least three times the amounts of the defendant's profits. Three times the amount. So we'll have to see how much profit uh, Impact can can show that they got from the Global Force. We'll see that. Uh, oh, I would or, love to see that number. We're going to get that number, aren't we? Yeah. If this goes to discovery, which uh, they're trying to go right. for a jury trial. They want a jury trial here. So that'll... Right. So we'll get it. We, we, we'll get it, which will be well, fascinating here. not necessarily. Here. I suppose they could... Yeah, but hopefully we'll get it. We'll get it. We'll get it for sure. I think there's enough sleuths out there that'll that'll find it. So uh, Global Force... it's like $38.17. That's what I mean. I mean that, that's entirely possible, that. right? Yeah, right. No, it's, it's absolutely possible that they, they can sort of prove that, hey, look, this is how many people signed up and the first thing they watched was Amped or whatever. It was like five people. You know what I mean? Like So that they can maybe have a way I've to go. heard some whispers about those numbers. Yeah, so. we'll see. Uh, Global Force Entertainment's damages. Little birdies, little birdies have talked about those numbers. Well, they've also said they, they want you know three times the amount of uh, defendants' profits or Global Force wrestlers, rest, uh, Global Force Entertainment's damages, whichever is greater. So, if Global Force Entertainment can prove damages by, <laughs> in fact, you know, airing amped, that uh, they'll be the greater. So, as I said, ProSingSheet.com, uh, our good friend TMZ guy, has the uh, entire lawsuit available to view. Here's the one part that I really enjoyed. And then, Joe, I'm going to get your reaction here. Uh, this is an excerpt from the lawsuit that I really did enjoy that much. 
uh, enjoyed a lot. Mr. Jarrett has 77 championship reigns throughout his career. He is a 17-time world champion, having won the NWA World Heavyweight Championship six times, the WCW World Heavyweight Championship four times, the WWA World Heavyweight Championship twice, the USWA Unified World Heavyweight Championship three times, and the AA uh, AAA Mega Championship twice. Mr. Jarrett was inducted into the TNA Hall of Fame in 2015 and the WWE Hall of Fame in 2018. By the way, somehow Jarrett Finagle is way in the WWE Hall of Fame in 2018. Greatest businessman of all time. Uh, after, departing the, after departing TNA, Mr. Jarrett formed Global Force Entertainment in 2014 for the purposes of promoting wrestling events and creating original wrestling programming for pay-per-view and television markets. Uh, GFE un- operates under and is the owner of the Global Force Wrestling brand. Uh, Global Force Entertainment, this is, this, is the, this is my favorite part here. Global Force Entertainment also owns the trademark and associated U.S. registration, blah, 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 to you, you, for use in conjunction with posters and photographs, insulated containers for beverage cans for domestic use, ah. clothing, including, but uh, limited to T-shirts, bandanas, and hats, yes. streaming of audio and video material on the internet, and entertainment services, including but not limited to wrestling exhibitions and performances by professional wrestlers, and entertainers, uh, entertainers. Global Force Entertainment also uses interstate commerce, including but not limited to, on its website, the Global Force Wrestling logo and the GWF logo with a distinctive green color. So don't use green because Global Force owns green, apparently. I, I got to be honest with you. They've been using Global Force's branding and colors on their, yes. and when I say they, Impact, no, on, their, over the, on their streaming service. Jared's winning the suit. Yes. I mean, they air damp. We talked about it before yes. this became a <laughs> two weeks ago. Then how the fuck are they still showing? Jared listens because Jared listens to the show because he knows that we put him over as the greatest businessman of all time. He I, listens. Listen, I'm convinced Jared listens and has been listening for years because He's come on two some of our ago, properties before. Right, two He's, weeks ago we talked about this. How the hell is Global right. Wrestling Network showing amped? Why is Global Wrestling Network called Global Wrestling Network? Why are they using his green? We mentioned the, the green. We said that we yes. joked about the green, and now in this lawsuit they said. We have rights to this green, and why are they showing Amped? So I'm convinced. Well, Amped has been pulled off of Global Wrestling Network. We should mention that. I don't know if you did, but it has been pulled off of Global Wrestling Network. So Anthem thinks that they're beat here because they pulled it off. So, and and honestly, all stick aside, I think Jarrett might have a He's going to win this. He's going to win this case. I don't understand, you know, unless, you know, the inner workings of that deal um, really did include all of his footage and whatnot. But he was, he, he went out there and ran shows, which is what tipped us off to all this. He was a whole, we were like, hold on a second. How is Jared allowed to run shows under the Global Force banner unless he feels like he owns that still? Because the Global Force trademarks and properties and footage are all being used by Anthem to make money here. So this is, Jared must have been planning this for a while. So uh, I don't know. You're swaying me. I mean, you know, <laughs> he didn't make billions on on hostile corporate takeovers like my man T Boone, um, who I knew nothing about until I googled him uh, as you were talking. I just threw his name out there. You just type in like best businessman ever. Yeah. No, I threw. I I I I, I like the name T Boone. Yeah, it's a great name. It's a great name. So I said, all right, I'm going to say T Boone Pickens is a better business manager of Jared. And then when you were talking about the suit, I googled T Boone Pickens. So I could actually say, all right, is he a good, yeah. And, and with all his hostile takeovers and I mean, he's a son of a bitch. I can tell you that reading some of this, but, uh, but clearly a man who knew how to make some money. Um, but Jared is, is like you say, okay. Unlike the other great businessmen in business history, 
Jeff Jarrett has never had anything to offer the public. <laughs> right. Like T Boone Pickens was doing hostile takeovers of gigantic oil corporations that were yes. making billions of dollars a day or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yes, yeah. that you know, Jeff Jarrett is making money for shareholders and right, and right, right. Jeff Jarrett has provided nothing for anyone. <laughs> Jeff, what's his name? Bezos? Uh, Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos. He got my big kangaroo pills here in like 24 hours. Okay. So that guy provides a service. Right. Voicewrestling.com slash Amazon. We couldn't do it without him, of course. Absolutely. You know, these people all provide things to the public. Jeff Jarrett. (laughs) See, you're starting to see it. Okay. I'm glad. He may not be a billionaire, you know, several times (laughs) over, but he somehow, you know, not only lives, but thrives (laughs) by providing nothing of substance to anyone. This man hasn't, I mean, even his wrestling nosedived like 15 years ago when all he did was walk in brawls. He wrestles drunk in Mexico and Allegedly. somehow wins. Allegedly, he wrestles drunk. Allegedly. And with, so, from that perspective, Rich, you could be on to something. He may be the greatest businessman of all time. When you put it in context. Right. Imagine, imagine this employee shows up allegedly drunk. And then, like a year later, you just give him your your biggest title for no fucking reason, even though you don't need. For what to. Right? Yeah, the man is not a draw. <laughs> I mean, he provide, He's a terrible wrestler. Uh, you know, he's he unstable. Wrestle Kingdom. Why, why did he promote Wrestle Kingdom? Hey, well, you know what? That was like one legitimate thing that he's. Done. I guess, but I, mean, I, didn't, he, I didn't. But know how did he? Right. <laughs> but how did he worm his way in? Is the question. Right. Like, That's it. I just know. don't understand how he do- he wins. This man just fucking wins. Jarrett always wins. He's a winner. He wins. <laughs> Those paid shows. I love him. Every promoter in the world would love to run paid shows. That is the grand jewel yes. of, of indie promoting is a paid show. You can show up, do whatever you want. You got the money. You got a guaranteed amount of money. You can promise everybody that they're going to get paid X or whatever. People. Yes. He, nobody in the nobody else can get paid shows. People are begging, yeah. dying for paid shows. Jarrett just fucking gets them out of nowhere. You know, shows yeah. you just out of nowhere. Jarrett's in a minor league ballpark with a paid show. Every minor league ballpark. He headlines minor league ballpark paid shows with Matt McIntosh, and he laughs his way to the bank. Because okay? <laughs> we know. We know how much those guys are getting paid, and we know how much it probably is getting paid for this paid show. And Jarrett's taking a pretty penny. And I also it. know when they show up, he's like, oh, by the way, fill out this tax form. Because right. I'm not paying you cash. And because, you know, Jeff Jarrett, listen, he, the IRS is not going to beat Jeff Jarrett. Okay. He's, he's, he's a man who he's probably the only wrestling promoter. Like the, does WWE even, uh, are, are those guys even filling out I-9s? They're independent contractors. I right, wonder. Right, right, right. Jeff yeah, Jarrett's like the only promoter on earth, <laughs> on earth, who's doing things through the IRS, through all the proper channels on top of everything else. So he's not only the greatest businessman in the history of the world. Okay, see? He's the only honest wrestling promoter <laughs> in the world. Okay? He's he's not, you know, a t- he's not allowing his talent. He's like, "No, sir. You will not rip off Uncle Sam. You will report these earnings, yeah. sir, and you are not throwing me into hot water either. So you will fill out this I9." And that is a legit that ha- that's real. Right. That's real. I know a wrestler who drove like 13 hours to work a ballpark show. I don't remember if it's public or not. I think we may have even told the story, but I'm just covering my butt in case it's not public. And then when they got there, Double J didn't slip him the old envelope. He slipped him an I-9. Okay. (laughs) So so this is this man is brilliant because he's not going to allow anything to take him down. And he even, even he knows he can't beat the IRS, you know? 
So he's like, listen, we're doing things by the up and up. This is global force wrestling. Okay. There are no offbeat shenanigans happening in this locker room. You're filling out tax forms, pal. Okay. And that's how he runs his business. Can't really knock the man for it. Jeff Jarrett, a savant. They took some his wife too. You know what I mean? Like he, he went and stole, he upgraded his wife. And <laughs> it's a good play. He, he's Kurt Angle's wife. <laughs> he stole a man's wife right from underneath his nose. <laughs> what the hell? Yes. I wouldn't call it an upgrade considering his wife died of cancer, but look, Rich forgot about that. Yeah. I was implying yes. that Karen Jarrett's an upgrade over a corpse. That's not what he's trying right. to say. No, I'm just saying Karen Jarrett's a, uh, quite an attractive woman, but yeah. He, he forgot that the man's wife I'm, passed I'm, away. I'm very sorry about that. Yes. Okay. But it, it, it was, yes, he, he, he took a, he, he not don't listen. He, and, and, a, and an alpha male like Kurt Angle, you know, what kind of, Big dick energy must you have to steal the wife of a man like Kurt Angle? I mean, because that's a that's a that's a fucking alpha man. That's the alpha male. It's not Monty Brown, but you know what I'm getting at here, <laughs> right? It's not like everybody said that like when Billy Kidman had you know was was dating Tori Wilson in WCW, and everybody's goal was just to make sure that she would break up with Billy Kidman because it was Billy Kidman. And eventually, that did happen because it's Billy Kidman. It's Kurt fucking Angle. You know what I mean? Like this it's is Kurt you know, Angle, right? It's not you know. You know, we know pro wrestling's fucked up, and an undercard guy can't have a hot girlfriend. That's not right. allowed. You know, that's just, that's just out, out, that's out of the question. Cannot be. We have to put a stop to this. But that was Kurt Angle. That's a, that's not only a main eventer. That's Kurt motherfucking gold medal with a broken neck angle. And broken he took freaking neck. Broken freaking neck, too. Bro, yeah. I mean, come on now. You know? And that's peak Kurt Angle. Not Kurt Angle who couldn't turn his neck uh, 12 <laughs> degrees to the side. We're talking peak Kurt Angle who you could fuck anybody up. You know? Especially... A guy, you would you would assume, but I bet you Jeff Jarrett can scrap too. Who says he can't? The man is he's literally an everyman. I bet you he can fight too. Did he have an MMA fight? Did he have an MMA fight once? Did he have a he had like a boxing match or whatever? He's an MMA fight. man. He did it did on he? Impact. Yeah, you know, I'm sure that training was legit. So you know, he's an MMA man on top of everything else. You know, you know, so you know, you're gonna pay your taxes. <laughs> you're not gonna cross him because he'll get you in the cage. That's it's Jeff Jarrett's all about. Unbelievable. So we'll follow this story, but of course, Jarrett wins again. So uh, constant on this podcast, as long as we've been doing it, is that Jeff Jarrett will find a way to weasel his way in and win because he is the greatest businessman of all time. So Global Force Wrestling, the whatever that stone is, I mean, that stone has been bled to death, and it's still somehow, some way, because he's going to win this too. And that's he's making money part. off of that brand. <laughs> it's because if he wasn't, he wouldn't be doing this. No. He's making money off of that somehow. I can't wait till he see he somehow finagles that the damages were like you know he finds some weird contract that some pay per view provider was about to give him and now he can't do that. He'll find a way. I mean, he's going to make millions off of this too. And the problem is Anthem. You know, I don't know that they're really like I hate. This is the part that sucks about it is because we talk about how how much we're enjoying Impact and all that sort of stuff and we're laughing about this, but like Anthem is running pretty lean operation there. We know that. I mean that that just just public knowledge based off a lot of the stuff that that happened when Anthem did buy TNA and and, and did buy Impact and whatnot, but. You know what I mean? Like this could be another thing that like really puts impact in a bad spot, and it sucks because we did just talked about it a few weeks ago, and that must be what got Jared in a tizzy. As we said, it's fun that impact now feels stable. It feels like they have a brand. It feels like they have a, a purpose. It feels like there's stability, and now we got this. And I don't know what this is going to end up with, but I mean, shit, it's just like another example of of a constant. Jared wins, and impact finds a way to lose, and it's just it, it it's weird and it's odd, but it's it is what it is. Six six years going. He's ready to crack open that book of talent because GW uh, G- Global Force Wrestling is back. 
Yeah. So, and, I'm, and oh, right God. now I'm watching an old, I'm watching last week's Impact on mute here, and it's the Global Wrestling Network flashback moment of the week. They're gonna have to change all that. Yeah. Lime green in my face. I was perplexed by that too. I get like that maybe the the back end was bought a certain way or built a certain way, but you got to change those logos. You know what I mean? Like that can't it cannot be called the Global Wrestling Network unless you had it in paper that you can own the Global Global Wrestling Network and own the colors and all that sort of stuff. So it'll be interesting to we'll see, see. But it's it definitely looks like Jarrett could possibly win this suit as far as everything that I can see from the outside. I mean, I the way I do it, if I was on this jury, I'd probably vote for Jarrett. I mean, I think he's he's got a good case here, but we'll see. How that goes, but Jeff Jarrett will find a way to win. And if it's not this, it'll be something else next time. But uh, that's Jeff Jarrett as usual. Okay, we got a lot of wrestling to get to. We got the G1 finals. We got SummerSlam. Yes, so it's a good thing we talked about Peyton Royce and Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> right, it was only like 40 minutes or so. I think we did. A, it was nice and compact. I like those conversations. But yeah, we got TakeOver. We got SummerSlam. We got a little thing called the G1 Climax. They had their finals. We'll talk about that, I guess, a little bit. This G1 Climax show. Did you watch any one of that grade one climax from a NJPW? Rich, I did. I watched okay. a lot of the Great One Climax. <laughs> oh, Talked yeah? a lot about it too. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, yes. I didn't know. That's good. Um, we have Evolve in progress as well. I went to uh, an Evolve show and I went to parts of of an, a uh, progress show uh, this weekend as well. And then uh, if we get time, uh, we'll also talk about uh, a little bit of Jim the Anvil Nightheart. I don't know if I have a ton on him in terms of um memories or whatnot but i think we'll, we'll try to i i think there was guys in, in the past that we've had we've done those pretty long discussions about and things that we really liked about them and well i haven't talked to you about this we'll, we'll maybe we'll get to that at the end because i think we have so many other things to get to right now uh but we'll try to save a little bit to talk about the anvil if we have anything uh on that but um joe let's get into this g1 climax the finals um and the final two shows because when we signed off for you guys we recorded on wednesday last week we signed off before the block finals had happened. Those seem like they happened like seven months ago, but those were just last week, the uh, A Block and the B Block final. So we'll talk about those. Uh, we'll talk about the G1 final, the actual show itself. Uh, and then big pack, uh, big picture stuff. Okada, where does he go from here? Uh, Naito, where does he go from here? Uh, Omega, just different things like that. So we'll talk big picture stuff, talk about those block finals. But Joe, how do you want to start out uh, with this G1 talk? Because we got a lot to cover uh, with the final, essentially three nights. Yeah, I guess very quickly... Uh, we should talk about the big matches that were the block deciders and what we thought of them. We don't have to spend a ton of time because you noted this off air, but but it really feels like they happened a month ago at this point, uh, some of these matches. But Tanahashi and Okada, they had another draw. This is their third G1 draw. I spoke about it uh, extensively on the uh, subscription side when I reviewed that show, but I, I want to give you the floor because, you know, I, I know how much this feud means to you as a fan. And, 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 and I saw some of your thoughts on this match. I loved it. I thought it was another classic between the two, but I think you liked it even more than I did. So do you want to talk about that match? Yeah. For a couple minutes? Yeah. Yeah. Cause I did the, I did the review on the, uh, the, the website as well. So um, the old school written review. Yeah. The old school there. So if you want to go to uh, voice wrestling.com, we, we redesigned some parts of the voice wrestling too. And I think it's working a little bit better for people. So uh, hopefully you're enjoying it a little bit more, but yeah, voice wrestling.com. I did the uh, night 17 review is what we're talking about here. And yeah, I just, um, as far as the match, I went five stars again, and you know I don't want to get into a star rating, you know, argument or whatnot because I think it's so much more than that. But you know, when you talk about perfect wrestling or a match that just kind of works on all levels, this one felt like it was that way uh, to me because there was just a, you know, you know, it's it's the rivalry of New Japan. It's it's uh, for it's we we talk about all the time. It's the steamboat flair. It is what it, for our generation, for certain generations, particularly for me, somebody who started watching New Japan really 
you know, extensively in 2011, this is this is it for me. You know, this is the feud that defines my New Japan fandom in, in a lot of ways. So when it comes back and and does some other stuff, it's just that much better, and it just really does hit you on a different level. But yeah, it's just some some great stuff. And I think uh, what was awesome. I don't. Know, did you listen to English commentary on this match, or did you listen to Japanese commentary? Japanese. Oh, Japanese. Okay, so you, this is good because I you you then didn't hear this. Uh, but Chris Charlton, our good friend, of course, uh, you know, friend of the site. New show, uh, new book, Eggshells, that you should definitely uh, purchase about the history of Tokyo Dome uh, wrestling. I uh, had a really, really great point when he was doing the commentary on the show. And he said this match for the first time in this entire feud is more about what these guys have lost in this past year versus what they've won. And I thought that was a really profound thing that he said. And it really then kind of stuck with me the entire match is that in every other Okada Tanahashi match, it's all been about one of the guys being triumphant and the other guy trying to get to that level. It's Tanahashi, the ace, you know, against this new up-and-comer Okada who just came back to the company. Okada shocks the world and beats him. Now it's Tanahashi trying to get back to that spot because Okada shocked the world and got him. And then there was a while where Tanahashi established that he was the ace and Okada still had ways to go to get to his level or whatever. But it always felt like one guy was winning and one guy was losing as the feud went. This one was the first time this feud came in where it felt really like both these guys, despite Tanahashi having a great G1 and Okada having a pretty good G1 as well, this year has been a lot of heartbreak for these guys. Tanahashi is a guy who um, you know, lost the title defense record when Okada... Uh, defeated it uh, or defeated him at, at Dominion or whatever, and and that became or not Dominion. Uh, what, what what was the show? Uh, the Sakura, right? It was Sakura Genesis. I'm blanking on what show it was now. What do we talk? Which match? Uh, the we one where about? Okada uh, uh, beat Tanahashi earlier this year. That was April, right? Oh, is uh, wasn't that uh, Dantaku? Was it Dantaku? That, that was it. That was it. It wasn't Dominion. I kept saying Dominion, but that was a, the, the Omega match. But yeah, uh, Dantaku. That's that's yeah. Where you know that was a, a big moment for Tanahashi. I mean, if you watch the the post match videos, Tanahashi talks about that. How how heartbroken he was that he lost that. I mean, he was crying about losing that. That was the thing that meant a lot to him. Being the guy that had the most title defenses that meant a lot to him. And now, as as we talk about all the time for the past few years, Tanahashi's a guy that that his character has been that of a guy kind of going through a weird midlife crisis. We talk about uh, where, you know, he's driving in, 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 I rock Z and, and, you know, still thinks he's the ace and changes his music and still thinks he's the shit and still goes to clubs and, and, but it's not, it's like, dude, you're, you're kind of old, man. Nobody really cares about you that much anymore, but he still thinks he's the shit. So to lose that was just another thing that was like, fuck, like I'm getting passed up by this guy. I'm just a nothing now. I mean, are people even going to remember me or am I going to be in the history books? I remember that being a part of his promo too, of wondering where his place in history is now that, that he doesn't have that anymore. So, so he loses that, you know, another month or a few later, you know, a few months later, Okada then loses his title, loses the only thing that really defined him over the last two years and falls into this state of, of, of mania where he's got the red hair, he's lost, he's got new music, he gets rid of his, his, his robe, he's just, you know, carrying around fucking balloons. Like, he's, he's just a, a clown. It's like, what the fuck happened to Okada? He had a mental breakdown when he lost the title. So we see both these guys who were just dealing with so much adversity in this year. And I thought that was really fun part about this match, too, as it was for the first time ever. These Both these guys trying to... To, to grasp whatever they had left and try to get back where they had left because a win here would define their year and then hopefully get them back on track. If Okada wins, it's like, all right, yeah, I lost the title, but I'm back on the path. Or, you know, if, I, if Tanahashi would lose, it would be like, oh, fuck, you know, what, what, now what do I do? I didn't even win the G1 now. I'm, I, I lost to Okada again. Like, I'm really screwed here. So I thought there was an extra weight to it because of that, because it felt like both these guys were really, really working to get to that and really wanted to win this match because it meant that much more to those guys. It really meant something different. And, and, you know, of course it was the draw. And and maybe I'm saying wins and loss, but to me, it it in in a lot of ways, even though it was the, the uh, a draw, it felt like Tanahashi won, even though he didn't definitively win. He won and moved on to the block. So that's why I'm, if I'm using that, and you're saying, oh, he didn't win, it was a draw. Like I, I know, I'm just saying in in terms of that match, he was the one triumphant, and Okada was the one. You let, know. let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. 
that that match result was a draw. But there's no question who the winner was there. Right. Who was the guy? You know, what I mean? you know being showered in praise and confetti and not only and all did that he advance, yeah. not only did he advance in the block from that standpoint, but he just felt like the winner. Right. And he worked you know? that. I mean, he dominated this match too. And I thought that was really cool too. Was yeah. we had seen and a lot of people had been complaining that Okada felt like he was just right back. You know, after you know losing the first few matches of the G1, he goes back and he goes on a win streak. But people that were watching all those matches and really breaking it down said, "Hey, yeah, but he doesn't look crisp. Like, even when he was beating guys like Yoshihashi, it looked like weird. It wasn't." perfect like the rainmaker just didn't look quite as good the drop kicks didn't look quite as good we, we talked about that okada was not having as good of matches because he was sort of in a lot of ways intentionally making it look like he wasn't dominating and making it look like he wasn't doing all that well and this is the match where he gets in here with tanahashi and tanahashi beats the fuck out of okada i mean okada is in a lot of ways a shell of himself like he just doesn't have it he's surviving he's lasting 30 minutes but it feels like at any point tanahashi can just end it whenever he wants and so that was always a cool aspect of it too is it felt like just okada was just a step slow almost the entire time and and, and Tanahashi had, you know, everything pretty much together. But I thought one of the best spots of the entire sh- match to me, and the big one of the big reasons when I said, okay, shit, this thing is just amazing storytelling and pro wrestling, is that Okada gets a few moves together, feels like he's got a bit of a rally going on. Uh, you know, Ta- Okada goes to the Rainmaker, and Tanahashi, with almost with no delay, rolls him up in a schoolboy and gets a 2.999. Like, catches him in the Rainmaker, understands that that Okada, you know, he's got him scouted and gets that roll up and almost pins him. And Okada is just fucking, you know, nuts now. Now he knows, oh shit, I'm screwed. I gotta hit this Rainmaker as soon as I can. So he goes for another Rainmaker, and Tanahashi just slaps the fuck out of him. You know what I mean? Just absolutely cold clocks him. And what was really cool about that too is in past years and in past Tanahashi matches, we've written about it extensively at the website, Okada would have maintained wrist control. He would have held onto the wrist yeah, you slap me, but I still got your wrist and I still have control. And when I'm back it too, I'm going to hit you with that fucking Rainmaker and pin you and you're done. Okada falls. He just, like a sack of fucking potatoes, he just falls to the ground. The slap just yeah. destroys him. He's done. And that was it. And then Tanahashi had the rest of the match. He had mm-hmm. it after that. It, it was it was really Tanahashi beating the shit out of Okada for most of the match. And then when Okada started to make his... Uh, comeback because he's been bend but don't break for so long, especially in his title run. And he was making that comeback and everyone was expecting the same. But like you said, right, I'm, glad you, I'm sorry it, not to interrupt, but yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that too. Okada, I mean, we talked, this has been going on for like a year now where he was barely winning these matches against Suzuki. He was barely winning these ones against Kota. I mean, that, that, that's that been going on for a while where it's been sort of by the skin of his teeth he's been winning. So I think that's an important part when people talk about this story and, oh, he's just winning all the time. Like, no, he, he might be winning, but it feels not rainmaker you know it's not dominant wins at all so that, that's an important point i think you mentioned but yeah he, he was really bent but don't break there in this title run particularly towards the end and and uh and and this like that 19 early 1990s bills defense with daryl tally and and uh and bruce smith you know where where they'd give oh, up the yards monty kiffin i thought you were gonna go monty kiffin uh, uh yeah that too you know that one too right well, Ronde Barber, right yeah, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh but you know tyoka jackson how about that one that's a great name but, man. Uh, that team ruled i love that team tremendous football name yeah tremendous football yeah, couldn't beat the Rams in the '99 NFC Championship though. I got to throw that in there. Ricky Prohl touchdown, final final moments there. Put that one away. But uh, uh, yeah, but, but it, then they were telling the same story here. You know, Tanahashi was kicking the shit out of this guy. He starts to make that Okada comeback, and then like you mentioned, all of those callback spots. You know, Tanahashi had the answers this time. You know, the roll up, the slap in the face, and then they threw in the other big callback from the last draw, where as the match is ending. Tanahashi's going up for that final high fly flow. Okada does manage to turn his body a bit so he doesn't catch it flush. 
uh, and time expires. You remember last time he did hit the high fly flow and time expired as the referee was counting two. And then Okada did kick out, but did he kick out before the three? We'll never know, you know? So then they, they called back to that as well. Uh, in the, in the, in the final moments of the match, I, I you know, it, it, these two guys get together. It's magic. You know, they're not just going to go out there and have a quote unquote great match and go out there and do cool moves. They're going to do shit that, that feeds into their long-term story. It looks like they might be having another match coming up. We'll have to see. And uh, yeah, you went five. I didn't quite go that high, but yeah, it was just a tremendous match. It really, and, and I'm not going to do it all over again because I did it on the uh, subscription audio, but it really, uh, was a perfect roll up to the Okada G1 story as well. Uh, you know, uh, maybe I'll clip that and put that up for free um, when I talked about Okada on the on the pay show. But yeah, great match. The draw. Tanahashi moves on, and then the next night, because Tetsuya Naito lost to Zack Sabre Jr., which surprised the hell out of me because I thought, you know, I, I had Naito as the odds-on favorite to win the block and win the whole tournament going into that final night. Zack Sabre Jr. gets the, the big win. And then there's the opportunity to force the big four-way tie if uh, if uh, if Kota Ibushi can defeat Kenny Omega. And then Kota Ibushi would move on because he beat all those dudes. And that's exactly what happened. Kota Ibushi, Kenny Omega. I thought it was a great match, Rich, but I thought they left something on the table. And that's why I thought for sure that Ibushi was going to beat Tanahashi in the final because I thought Omega and Ibushi. And remember, Omega didn't want to have this match yet. Neither did Ibushi. Omega has said publicly that the, New Japan came to him and said and, and wanted them to do this match in Budokan Hall, and he didn't want to do it yet. But they talked him into it. Um, so to me, all those things, I thought with leaving things on the table and then not really being too hot on doing the match yet, that we'd be seeing it again at the Dome. Uh, it didn't turn out that way. But before we get to that, Abushi Omega, what did you think of it? Yeah, I thought it was good, but I definitely, I, I mean, I, I'm saying good. it was still like an incredible match. I mean, I'm probably like four and a half stars somewhere on there. I just, I didn't, it didn't, it didn't hit me on the same level that I thought it would. I, I just went on for 10, 15 minutes talking about how Okada and Tanahashi hit me on that level and all the stories that were going in here. And there was some stuff in this that was fun. And there were some callbacks here and there. It's just like you said, it felt like the beginning of a multi-match series. It felt like just a match that we'll, we'll remember, but that it's only kind of a sampling or an appetizer of what these guys are capable of. And that was one of my worries about the match is that that knowing that these guys, their heart wasn't 100% in it on this night, that maybe then wouldn't do it. And I say this, they still had an incredible match. I mean, there was just in, insane stuff throughout this. It just did not get me on that level nearly as much as Okada and Tanahashi did, even though there was still aspects that I liked it, and it's still probably in my top 10 of this G1, just not on that. It wasn't this, like, I like again, I don't know if it's going to be in my top 10 match of the year, which is kind of nuts considering who the, the, the people that are involved in it, but I think that speaks a lot more to the year as well. But it's just, like, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it was It was very good. But like you said, I felt when it was over, like, ah, that they got they have something more in them. Like these dudes on another I don't know if it's gonna be this year, next year, sometime, sometime in the near future, these guys are gonna have a match that blows this one out of the water. And I knew that, and that sort of when it was over left me a little underwhelmed because I know that these guys are capable of so much more. All right, in this episode of the Voice Wrestling Flagship Podcast is sponsored by our good friends at Dollar Shave Club. And no matter what you do in the bathroom to get ready, Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to look, feel, and smell your very best. They have amazing shower stuff, hairstyling products, toothbrushes, and toothpaste. And of course, they have razors and shave supplies. We use Dollar Shave Club products, of course. We talk about the uh, One Wipe Charlie's, the, <laughs> the executive razor. Joe, your favorite razor, of course. Uh, but yeah, we've tried those. We've loved them. I uh, get the razors for the nurse as well. She likes it, so it's not just for men as well. 
But Joe, every day, I use the body wash, I use the razors, I look my very best. And that's how I get ready, but you're not me. You have your own way to get ready, and that's fine because no matter what you do to get ready, Dollar Shave Club has everything you need. And right now, you can get ready with an amazing deal on any one of their starter sets. I recommend the Daily Essential Starter Set because I love the uh, Amber Lavender Body Cleanser. I talked about that a little bit earlier, but you cannot go wrong with any one of those starter sets. Head over to dollarshaveclub.com slash voices to pick up your own Dollar Shave Club starter set for just five bucks after your starter set products ship at regular price. And make sure you check out their new video too. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash voices, dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. Go there and pick up your own Dollar Shave Club starter set for just five dollars. That's what we use to get ready, and you can use it to get ready as well. Dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. I, I did get the sense that they did leave something on the table. So that brings us to the final Kota Ibushi Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, I thought it was a foregone conclusion that Ibushi was going to win, but they really showed me. Ibushi Tanahashi, I thought, was just a beautiful match. Um, I haven't had a chance to talk about this one yet. I didn't do audio for this one. We were saving it for this show. I thought it was just a beautiful match between these two guys. It's just the kind of match that only Hiroshi Tanahashi can have in this day and age. When, when he... It's hard for me to, to, to put into words or to describe, and maybe I'm being melodramatic, but I, I feel like a couple times a year, Tanahashi just delivers uh, in a completely different way uh, than he normally does. Oftentimes it's with Okada, but I thought this one was a good example of that too, where he's just you can you can you can feel you can just feel that it's it's something different than just another match for him. And I really feel like this was an example of that. And I did watch it spoiled, thanks to you. Yes, sorry. Uh, <laughs> but but <laughs> payback for Rich watching every match of his life spoiled, right. by the way. Um, Those, these, but, three, these three that we're talking about, I watched them completely unspoiled. I was, it was my greatest accomplishment of all time, being able to watch all these unspoiled. So Yeah. But, I mean, I do think that... Um, if I would have watched it unspoiled, I would have been stunned at the result. And um, it really didn't take anything away from it, I don't think, watching it spoiled, and normally that does for me. Uh, I thought it was a really great match and just a tremendous moment. And Shibata and Tanahashi's corner, I mean, that was tip-off number one that he was probably winning the match. They spent a lot of time focusing on that as well. And then uh, they just went out there and fucking killed it. And these two guys always kill it. They've had three matches prior to this, and they were all great. This one was great as well. And now we have Hiroshi Tanahashi carrying that case and presumably, presumably going to Wrestle Kingdom. I'm not entirely certain of that. But before we start unpacking that and going through our theories that are sure to be wrong, what did you think of the finals? Yeah, and in the finals, I would probably rate above Kenny Omega and Anabushi. And I like this match a little bit more than that. Um, yeah, it, it's just, it was, and, and you mentioned this about Tanahashi. I think it's a great point about him is, is, He's a guy who feels, and, and, and I liken him to another guy that, that one of my all-time favorites as well, a Bret Hart. Bret Hart knew when a match was important to him. Important in storyline, yeah, because it's for a title or whatever. But there were certain matches that were just important to Bret Hart. And, and people joke about Bret Hart and stuff and how he took tough stuff too seriously. But that man you know, loved pro wrestling and loves the idea of delivering good pro wrestling matches. You know what I mean? Like To the deterrent of a lot of people. I mean, he still gets choked about that all the time where he took it so seriously. But you get like that SummerSlam 92. That was a match that he still talks about to this day that was like super important to him to go out there with Bulldog and have an awesome match in front of Wembley, even though he was going to lose that match. He knew that he was going to lose the title and he was going to lose that match. But if he went out there and, and carried Bulldog, that that would be a moment for it, for Vince McMahon to go, oh, dude, you are good. 
I now trust you to do whatever you're going to do. And, and and there was many times in his career where he would have those matches. The Steve Austin, you know, Survivor Series with Steve Austin, he's talked about that many times before. That first one that they had, that he that was an important match to him. Yeah, he was going to, you know, win by the skin of his teeth or whatever to Steve Austin who hadn't been built up that all that well, but that's fine because he wanted that to be a moment. He defined that as a moment. WrestleMania was one too. And he Turn respected out. the and he respected the fuck out of Steve Austin too. Right, and, and, right, right, right. Was- and that's and that's and that's always a super important thing about Bret Hart. And again, like yeah, I said people will kind of laugh at him about that, but I love that. I love the idea that this dude goes out there with the intent that I'm gonna bust my ass, I'm gonna make this feel important because you know when it's important. And Tanahashi feels that way too. You can watch Tanahashi match and know when he thinks that it's just a a, a match, and you know when he thinks it's important. And when it's important to him, and, and again, like for better, for worse, or whether it's kind of a joke, this to him was important. I mean, this is a guy who really has been kind of shunned to the, the, the or, you know, kind of thrown to the back for the past few, two, few years, two years or so, has been sort of thrown behind the Kenny Omegas, the Tetsuya Naitos, the Okadas, the, the Kenny Omegas, those sort of guys have all kind of jumped up in front of uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and, and he's kind of gone to the back. So this was important to him because it was like, no, I'm winning and I'm going to get this trophy. I'm going to do the air guitar at the end of the show. Like this is stuff that he used to do all the time. And, and I get it. Like there's a certain pride factor where they say, Hey, you're going to win this thing again. And then he knows that, Hey, I'm going to deliver on this match. Cause it's important. Not only in the storyline, I'm winning the G one, but also important to, to, to Hiroshi Tanahashi, the person, this, this match was important to him. This result was important to him. And I'm glad I like that in my wrestling. I want these guys to want to win, you, you know, like I want them to perform and I want them to do whatever, but I want these guys to have a desire to be the best at what they do. And this was an, a great example. Like you said, of Tanahashi, adding weight to this match and just doing so much that showed you that that he thought it was important and and i'll give a lot of credit to kotobushi too because kotobushi he was brutal kotobushi in this match which is the best kotobushi as well what we saw in the ishii match earlier in the g1 what we saw against shinsuke nakamura all those years ago where abushi goes out there and he's slapping he's kicking he's doing bumayes he's not fucking around all that much like because there's sometimes where, where kotobushi will get a little too flip happy and stuff and i don't mind it i love kotobushi being you know super hype you know flippy abushi but man, there's nothing like brutal Abushi that's just hitting you with those stiff kicks, throwing a Bumaye in there just for good measure, slapping the fuck out of you. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that that I love when Abushi does that. I love when he breaks it out. And he did that throughout this match too. And I thought that added a bunch to it as well, where he was desperate to win this too. And it felt like it was an important moment to him too. So I don't know. I, I like this. I mean, where do you stand on that? Did you like this more than the uh, Omega Abushi match? Yeah, I did. Okay. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I, 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 I liked probably. Um... It, 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 it's tough. I, I, I'd probably go with a gun to my head, um, the final, then Tanahashi Okada, and then Abushi Omega. But I thought all three of them were great matches. But the other two just felt, the Tanahashi matches felt special. I don't know that Omega Abushi felt special. It didn't, and that's that was lost for me. It just didn't, and I don't know. Maybe that's the way I watched it. Maybe there are people that feel it was special. To me, it just didn't. It didn't hit me on that level, and it, it did when they were the match started and the first few minutes, and then whatever oh, yeah, reason, sure, sure. you know, about ten minutes in, I'm like, ah, nah, I don't know. That's just not. They'll do better. It was like one of those things where halfway through the match, I just said they'll do better another time. It's fine. I, I genuinely feel like they were um, they were saving some stuff. I I I, I fully believe that. I think they know there's a bigger one down the line somewhere. Um, you know, and this, this was a big one. I mean, you know, your main event in Budokan Hall, you're selling the place out, which uh, we should probably mention two nights in a row, over 12,000 fans. Now the setup was not the old school setup. You know, I had this discussion on Twitter with Matt Farmer who would know. And, um, you know, he brought up some old pictures and whatnot, the old Noah and all Japan setups where they had risers set up on the floor. This was chairs on the floor. 
which accounts for the difference in attendance. Now they weren't really packing 16,000. Everyone accepts that those are work numbers now, but they were doing more than 12, um, probably more in the 14,000 range, somewhere in there. These two shows did 12 because they had seats on the floor as opposed to the uh, bleacher, like, like, uh, you know, um, I guess uh, movable bleachers, risers, you know what I'm right, talking right. about. Right, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, where they'd really pack them in for those other shows, but uh, two straight sellouts, you know, um, standing room only for the final and all those sorts of things. And uh, you know, really a great accomplishment for Omega and Ibushi to sell out that second night and sell over 12,000 tickets. Uh, they've sold out that building before. They did it again. Um, as far as the MVP of the tournament, do you have a strong choice in mind? Um, you know, most people know how I feel about it. It it was either going to be Abushi or Ishi for me. Um, you know, Abushi on the strength of the uh, the great finals match against Tanahashi. Look, somebody who gets to the finals um, at minimum and wins it is going to have a stronger case because that match is always great. The two matches that decide the block and the final match are always great matches, and that's going to help you over a guy like Ishi who's not going to be in position to be in a final or to win a block. But man, on a night in night out basis, I don't think anyone was better than Ishii in the tournament. And it's hard for me to pick against him because of that. But Abushi was so fucking great too. And plus he had the great final against Tanahashi. I mean, to me, it's got to be one of those two guys. And, you know, I, I guess on the strength of the final, I would go Abushi. Do you have a different opinion on that or something to argue about? <sighs> Unfortunately, I, I you, as you were going on, I was like, ah, I have a different opinion. But then you came to my exact conclusion. It's it's, it's going to be a bushy for me. And I think the big reason is that final just and like you said, it's maybe not fair because he, he gets the final. And if Ishii was in that spot, I'd probably be saying Ishii right now. But they were they were so neck and neck that it's only fair to, to I think, in my mind, give it to a bushy for what I thought. Again, like the, the Omega bushy match, even though we I say that it wasn't, you know, this, you know, didn't hit me on, on, on the level that an Okada or Tanahashi hit me or even the Bushi Tanahashi, but still, it's still an incredible match. It was still a very, very good match. So that obviously helps his case. And then the final, which I thought was an incredible match, uh, definitely helped his case even a little bit more. So I probably give it to Abushi, but if you said Ishii, I would not argue with you. Those are definitely my one and two. And I could probably waver, but I think Abushi on the strength, as you said, of that final match and of the Omega match probably gets it a little bit above me. But yeah, Ishii probably had the stronger rest of the tournament but i man abushi had a lot of matches too that's that's what i mean like i don't think you could go wrong with either of those guys i i would i'd maybe argue with you if you made any other pick really as an mvp like naito was the guy who i picked uh, for the first few nights but he kind of fell off a cliff um and then i don't really know if there's anybody else that adam i mean there's well, like because the other block here's the thing because the other block tanahashi did not have night in night out great matches in the tournament he had really good matches yeah right right but and okada you know, I think he had a better tournament than people are giving him credit for. I think he was a victim of being in the shittier block in a lot of people's eyes. And um, and, and and people just tired of praising Okada as part of it, too. And, you know, he had, you know, I, I thought he had great matches, but he didn't have those until the Tanahashi match. He didn't have a single match where it was like, whoa, that's the fucking match of the tournament. That is going to threaten my top ten. He didn't have those kind of matches where the people in the B block did. So you, you can't, you don't have no one, you have no one from the other block, even in contention, which is rare. So, and and, and Naito, I, I just don't think, you know, he started off hot. I don't think he had the same quality of tournament throughout that Ishii or Ibushi did. So to me, it really comes down to, to those two guys. And Omega, I thought for all of the reasons that I'm not going to talk about again, was severely underrated in this tournament. He was great pretty much every night and, and, and had just as so much quality as anyone, but 
Um, it just didn't look, didn't feel like his tournament. It felt like Abushi's tournament. It felt like Ishii's tournament. So uh, those would be my my two picks. I don't think you can go wrong with either one. No, and I think, like you said, I think that that it felt like Abushi's tournament. I felt like Ishii's tournament. It felt like those guys' tournaments a little bit more. So yeah, I, I think yeah, it'd be tough. Yeah, I mean, those other guys you mentioned, I think maybe have cases, but I feel like. To a man, most I, I think most people would probably select Ibushi or Ishii as, as their MVPs. But I, I listen. She was booked stronger than ever because they were obviously setting him up for a, for a big title match. So um, he scored way more points than he usually does, and he scored a bunch of big wins. And um, you know, he 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 beat um, who did he beat on that last night? Sonata, right? Sonata? Uh, on, the, on his on the block fine. I think it was Sonata. I think he you're beat, right. Yeah, yeah. He beat he beat Omega obviously, and then he he beat Sonata. Um, so they're they're set, and he had a winning record and all those sorts of things. He's a guy who you wouldn't even blink an eye if he goes three and six. You know what I mean? So they they booked him strong because he's getting a title shot. So you know even from that perspective, you know it, he you know he's a very viable pick. Now there are some other topics we want to get to. We got to talk about Naito. The Lij fans and the Naito fans are just melting down with Naito being eliminated by Zack Sabre Jr. And, 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 you know, not even being alive going into the final match and, um, you know, obviously not winning the G1. And, and we'll get to that. And, you know, we got to talk about, um, you know, uh, Tanahashi and, and, um, and, 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 well, actually, let's do that now. And then we'll go through the show and hit on some of the other topics because I want to talk about Naito. And I want to talk about Harold May a little bit too. Yes, um, yeah, let's do that. So, so, but first before that, does Tanahashi survive with this briefcase to Wrestle Kingdom? We've been saying all along this is a perfect year for the briefcase holder to lose. Okay. He has already said he wants to defend the briefcase against Okada and he wants to defend the briefcase against Jay White. The <clears throat> Tanahashi Okada match drew 6,200 fans on night one. I think way too many people uh, bash that number as being disastrous when in reality it was only a couple hundred down from the first night of the G1. Uh, since they expanded the three straight nights in the final, you know, uh, three straight nights in the same building, whether it be Sumo Hall or Budokan, um, that's right around what that first night averages. People tend to forget this every year, but that first night never draws. Okay, now I'm, I'm, I now that feud definitely has diminishing returns from a drawing power standpoint because they've had the same fucking match eleven times, eight times in Tokyo. So those fans have seen that match eight fucking times. All right. Looks like they're going to do it again. It'll be the 12th time or whatever it is. So Tanahashi has said he wants to face Okada again, and he wants to face Jay White because Jay White was the only man to beat him in the tournament. So assuming those are the two opponents, is it plausible that he loses the briefcase to either of those guys? Um, I think it's possible that he could lose it to Okada. I don't see him losing the briefcase to Jay White. Um, it's plausible, the Okada thing. and. I guess because this is a point on our forums as well, voicewrestling.com slash forums. People were talking about that a little bit of, you know, why, why do people want people to lose the briefcase? Why are people mentioning losing the briefcase? Like, and, and we've always talked about it that I don't know that I necessarily want someone to lose the briefcase. I don't think it's, you know, I need Hiroshi Tanahashi to lose the briefcase to Jay White on the way there or to Okada on the way there. And, and I agree. The Okada story would be kind of weird. I don't like that story either of Okada winning the briefcase. But I think as we've always said, the reason why we would in some ways want someone to lose the briefcase is that then it adds that wrinkle that this guy can lose the briefcase. You know what I mean? It's, it seems as simple as it is, but until you do it, 
there's no idea that you're going to be able to do it. And I mentioned on the, on the forums as well, like the, the first time they did the Money in the Bank briefcase in WWE, nobody was quite sure how it worked. And then Edge came out after a match and challenged John Cena and won the title. And people were like, oh, you can do that. Like, because it wasn't an idea. The people just thought you maybe you like, you say, hey, at WrestleMania, we're going to have a match because I have the briefcase. And that was it. And then like, you know, you'd have five weeks of build and that WrestleMania, you'd get your match. Nobody thought that you could just run out and, and cash in the briefcase whenever you wanted. So you need to have a little bit of that learned expression of a learned idea of, oh, okay, you can just do this. You can just, you know, go and do this. This. And I think we need to at some point because this briefcase thing has been going on for a few months or a few years now, and get, nobody's lost it. Everyone just kind of runs through it, and we know that after the end of the G one, that guy is going to the Wrestle Kingdom main event. And in one respect, I enjoy that, but another respect, I think to add a little bit more to these matches, these post G one matches, somebody has to lose it at some point. You know what I mean? Somebody has to lose that briefcase to make it a little bit more interesting, to make it understandable that hey, look, like these matches do mean something. These aren't just kind of cursory matches that just happen because they happen like this guy could actually lose so it would be good if somebody did lose it i don't know though that tanahashi should be the guy that loses that i don't know that either okada or jay white are good opponents to beat tanahashi so that's where i want that briefcase to get lost by somebody i just don't think this year i don't know if it's plausible and i don't think i would do it with either of those two guys that are left i think okada could absolutely win it um i don't I'm not saying that i think he will but i think he absolutely could win it um, on one hand, I see what you're saying where it might be weird for the story. Um, but at the, the other hand, I think it would also be weird if Tanahashi beats him. You know, that's supposed to be behind us too. Okada definitively beat Tanahashi. You're right. In at Dantaku. And remember, he didn't technically lose to him in the G1. It was a draw. So I think it would be weird if Tanahashi just high fly flows that son of a bitch in the center of the ring and pins him. I mean, that'd be weird. I don't know why I channeled Steve Austin there. No idea why I did that. <laughs> Goddamn. Um, Goddamn. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know why that happened. But but I, I think that would be weird too. So I think if they do do the match, and it could just be – now normally when they talk like that, it does lead to a match. doesn't mean they're definitely doing the match. But if they do do it, I think there's a real good chance Okada wins. And some people are going to go fucking mental if that happens. Um, the idea of someone losing the case, I don't care if they ever do that. I know there's some people who think one year you have to do it. Otherwise, these you know briefcase defenses don't mean it. I couldn't care less if they went 20 years without having somebody lose it. I think the less often it happens, the the the, the bigger it feels when it does. I don't care if they ever do it. That isn't important to me at all. See, I think I someone think- has to at some point do it. And then I, I'm not saying that you have to do it every single – because, again, I mentioned the, the money in the bank. Yeah. Yeah. Then everybody just cashed in and it just became a lost thing or whatever. It wasn't – and then nobody went back to the old way of what people thought the money in the bank briefcase would be, and it just became people cashing in surprises, which that loses its impact now. Now nobody gives a shit when a guy cashes in. And- no, I agree, and I think eventually someone will. Right, but- and that's all, that's all I'm saying is I think they need to at least put that wrinkle in one time, and then yeah. you don't have to do it again for 10 more years or whatever. But then it's the idea that, hey, look, oh, yeah, well, whatever, it's X versus X in the stupid, you know, King of Pro Wrestling, you know, match or whatever for the briefcase. But, like, oh, no, like in 2012 or, you know, 2018 or whatever, Tanashi lost. So, no, that he could lose. I just like the idea that we could at some point say that they could lose. But I, I see what you're saying. That no, maybe I hear you. I'm not impatient about it. I'm no, I mean, saying- it doesn't bother me. It doesn't ruin the matches for me. I just think it'd be a nice... Yeah. Thing. And if, if there was a time, and we mentioned before, if somebody like a Jay White won this G1, perfect opportunity for him. Because he's not a guy that you yeah. probably write a re- main event Wrestle Kingdom with. And it would work for his character if he lost the, the briefcase on the way there. I don't know if Tana Absolutely. Hush is that guy either. That, that, and that's why I said I don't know if I would do it this year. Because I think there's some some issues with doing it with Tanahashi. But there are certain guys that would be good for that. 
we said this year would be a perfect time. Zack Sabre Jr. could have won that briefcase and then lost it or whatever. And it would have worked yeah. fine. It would have worked within the story. It would have been people would have understood if a Zack Sabre Jr. couldn't survive the, the fall with the briefcase. But I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see if this is the year that they, they pull the trigger on it. And beating Jay White without hurting him is simple. You just, he, you, 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 you know, the baby face just beats him fair and square. You know, because he always uses shenanigans to win his matches. So yeah, he's a that's, fuck. You know, Nobody would care. I mean, yeah, he doesn't lose anything because he's a giant fuck who uses, you know, right. nefarious means to get all of his wins. So yeah, they just, you know, somebody just beats yeah. him in the middle of the ring and, you know, his, he tries to be nefarious and it doesn't work. But we're fantasy exactly. booking for something that's not going to happen. So <laughs> exactly. Waste of time. But I, I, I think that if the Okada match happens, he can win. I don't think Jay White is main eventing the Tokyo Dome. So um, I don't think he can win. So I think Tanahashi will get his win back on Jay White. And if he faces Okada, you know, if, if you're if you're not someone who wants to see Okada in the main event of the Tokyo Dome again, I think you should have a lump in your throat and you should be nervous because I think Okada could win that match. And unlike Rich, I'll say that I'm not completely opposed to that. Um, wouldn't bother me all that much. I, 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 I'm into the idea of Tanahashi versus Omega, but I'm not sure where that leaves the other pieces. That's why I think it's totally plausible that Okada would win a match like that. Um, Okada, Omega, yeah, you know, we've seen it, what, uh, was it four times now, three times? Um, you know, it, to do it again, you know, Omega has the edge now. I think he has one more win, right? Isn't it, wasn't it, or is it 1-1-1? One, one, one? What is it? I can't remember. Which series are you looking for? I'm talking about Okada yeah. and Omega. I don't so Omega. Uh, yeah, what was their series? I think it's it, it one... Um... Yeah, what the hell I'm is thinking it? On this. Yeah. Omega won the uh, obviously Omega won the title in the uh, in the overtime of the um, of the last match. Yeah, they have screaming at us right now by, while we're doing this, which is always fun to know. Um, I'm okay. just drawing a blank. Yeah, so yeah, the um, first one, the Wrestle Kingdom 2017. That one, of course, um, was Okada. Right. Then you have the Dominion six eleven, the 2017 Dominion match. Right. Then why am I blanking on where that other one was? That's where I'm. That so yeah. That that's the time of the draw. So you're 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 oh one right now. Dominion then you have the time of the draw. Right. Yeah. That's, that's the Dominion first match. Though that's why you're confused. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That that's where I'm. At. And then Kenny Omega. Draw. Kenny Omega won the G1 Climax. Then that year. Yes. No. 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 Listen. There's two Dominion matches. The first one was a time limit draw. No, I know. I know. The, yeah. I got it. The second Dominion match was the Omega win. Yeah. No, I know. Yeah. I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying the G1 was the one where he won. So right, right, Omega's yeah, up. Omega's up in the series. Omega's up one. Yeah. So that's why I said to begin with, and we fucking wasted all this time. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. So Omega's <laughs> up one, which is why I think, yeah, it's like, why did we do that? I said Omega was up one. And <laughs> we have to find a way to, to at least waste, you know, 20 minutes with stuff that doesn't need to be wasted. Like right now. I'm talking right now. Because then we doubt ourselves. Right. Because we have no confidence. We, you know, it's about the fact that we come across as very confident. We have none. So. There's four matches and he's up one. So you so it would make sense for Okada to face him at Wrestle Kingdom and tie it up, you know? Um, because I think he would win that match. I don't think Omega's gonna beat him again. I think they would uh they would tie it up. But um you know, but but Tanahashi Omega, then what do you do with it? Where do the other pieces fall? You know, so that's why I think it it's definitely plausible. I think absolutely Okada could beat Tanahashi for the briefcase. Would you would you do that? You know, you're saying it's possible, and I agree it's possible. Is it? Would you do it? If if gun to your head, if you're the booker, if you got that pencil, Joe, as you always try to say, would, would, is this something you would do? 
I think Okada Omega is a bigger money match than Tanahashi Omega. I do. I think um I'm I'm thoroughly convinced they're doing Naito Okada in 2020. And I've been wrong about Naito all along, so don't listen to me. <laughs> right, we'll get to but that I'm, in a second. But I'm thoroughly convinced that that's the plan. I really like that idea that it's on a weekend and that's your biggest match. And you can really pack them in and get that standing room only crowd in there and, and sell it out and all those things. So you stretch that out for another year by having Naito win next year's G1. Or just end up with the match somehow. I mean, he can go into that as champion, I guess. There's That's the other thing people are forgetting. Naito can go into that Okada match as champion. And beat Okada as a challenger. I, why can't they do that? There's no reason right. they Which can't. is what I thought they were going to do this year, actually. So I'm way off base. Because yeah. I thought there was some weird roundabout way where that would happen this year. Of course, that's that's not going to happen anymore. But yeah, that's that's sort of where I thought this might go. That's the direction I, I thought they were going. I still, I still think there's some juice in an Okada Omega. I do. And I don't know. I think Tanahashi Omega is an interesting match and one that I'd like to see. It, it, it wouldn't be a disappointing domain event, but I think it'd be better suited for one of the a Dominion or a King of Pro Wrestling. Your top shows that aren't the Dome. I think it'd be better suited for one of those. I do. Um, and I think that Tanahashi, I like the idea of him being in kayfabe a step below those guys. I don't mind him winning the G1 um, because he's not on Tenzon's level or something left. That'd be stupid. So I don't think he's at that point. I don't, I don't mind him winning the G1 as sort of a, you know, a, a thing. I mean, cause remember he beat a and he didn't beat Okada. You know what I mean? And a not on the level of Okada and Naito. And, you know, or Omega. So, remember that, too. Even though he only lost one match, he didn't beat Okada. And he beat Abushi, who's on Tanahashi's level. Right? Is that fair to say? Right, right. They're kind of on the same line. I think they're on the same line. So, that was clever, too. And I don't know if I like the idea of putting Tanahashi back on that top line. For a Dominion or a King of Wrestling, fine. Not for the Tokyo. Dome. Yeah, and I think like you you mentioned a little bit a little while ago, it just it feels like it repeats a lot of the stories that we kind of we're, we're past that. You know, we we did the long Tanahashi is the ace, and people are going yeah. for his. You know, and if he's just back main eventing a Wrestle Kingdom, it feels like well shit. Like what were those last two years? Like it felt like yeah, we kind of go again, right back to 2015, or I, it, I, I don't have the yeah. you know the exact year, but I just right, mean right, right. like it goes back to you know what we had before Okada sort of took over again, and then it. And I don't like him beating Okada. And in order to get there, he'd have to beat Okada if they do that match. Right. You know, if 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 they want him to beat, why didn't he just beat him in the G one then? Because they don't want him to beat Okada. So I really think if Okada gets that match, he has a really good chance of winning. And I don't know if people have considered that or or prepared for that, but I I you know, and I, I think there is money in another Okada Omega match, particularly if there's strong stuff underneath, which. Presumably, you'll have Jericho, and you'll have this revived Tanahashi, and of course, Naito will be there, and, and you see where the rest of those chips fall, and Ibushi and everything else. So, um, yeah, I, yeah, I do think Okada could win that, and I, I, I'd actually make him a slight favorite in that match. I would. 
And I think what's interesting about that too is it shows, and, and, and we talk about this all the time with Tanahashi, and I talked about it a little bit, you know, uh, in the match as well, is that there's a lot of bravado there by Tanahashi saying, no, I want to face Okada. You know what I mean? Like just outwardly challenging Okada. It's like, you don't have to do that, man. You know what I mean? Like you don't have right. to defend that briefcase against them, but that might be the thing that they sort of play it off is, is Tanahashi's kind of feeling himself again a little bit. He's like, aha, yeah. you know, I'm the ace again. Like, yeah, give me Okada. I'll beat his ass or whatever. And it's like, okay, like, all right. You know. I think he wants to beat him. Right. You right, know? right, right. And, and, he, and he obviously wants to avenge the Jay White thing. And, um, the Jay White yeah. thing I get. There, there's, an, there's an obvious thing there where he wants to avenge the yeah. loss or whatever. But the Okada thing is just straight up bravado. You know, he doesn't have to do that. He can just move on. Yeah. He could just say it's fine, whatever. I'll face Jay White and then I'm, I'm, I'm moving on. But yeah, there's bravado there with the Okada thing. And that might be the thing that they, they sort of play out the match. Like you said, he's flying a little too close to the sun. He's, he's, he's feeling himself a little bit too more. But hey, you're, you're still the former ace, not the current ace. And that might be the story then. That Okada beats him, but I again, it's it's fascinating to see how that goes, and and I don't know, yeah, like I I don't know if it's the right situation, but I also don't see a clear path for a lot of these guys to get to Wrestle Kingdom. I guess that would kind of be our next topic. There is, you know, we say Tanahashi's got the belt or the the, the, the briefcase right now. I don't see a Tanahashi Omega being the the Wrestle Kingdom main event. It just doesn't feel quite right, and and maybe that's where they're going. Maybe that's the direction they're going. It doesn't feel quite right to me. And as you said, now he's got to beat Okada on that path, and that feels kind of weird as well but then it's hard to figure out a path for all these other guys as well where does an okada go and then of course where does a naito go and you mentioned a little bit about naito and mentioned how people are a little upset about that and you said one your thing before we get in, one yeah, thing before we get Naito, real quick do you think they'll do if they do tanahashi okada does it headline one of like the three destruction shows or whatever i don't even know if there's two or three this year i haven't checked the schedule do you headline it with one of those smaller destruction shows or do you put it semi main event at King of pro wrestling as a killer semi for an Omega title match against like Ishii or something like that. Yeah. It seems so weird as a semi though. Right. <laughs> it seems like just a waste on that. I'm, but look, but she- There's clearly diminishing returns with this match. It'll be right. like the 12th one. Okay. They've done it eight times in one city and it'll be like the 12th fucking one. And it showed some weaknesses. Look, it, 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 it was, it, it came in at 6,200, which again, isn't the disaster that people framed it to be. But it was, you know, it was lower than the average of the 2015 to 2017 opening nights by a couple hundred fans. And it's clearly running out of steam as a drawing match because people have seen it a billion times. But I think as a semi-main event, it's it, that's an incredibly strong semi-main event. But I also think it can fill a mid-sized building that you would run a destruction show on. So that's why I say, is it a destruction headliner or is it a King of Pro Wrestling um, semi-main event? I think that's an interesting question too, mm-hmm. but uh, but yeah, let's get into the Naito stuff. Should, we let's should get do into that. that. So of yeah. course, Naito loses to Zack Sabre Jr. He plays no part in the uh, the, the final uh, of right. the block. He's out. He's eliminated already, which was kind of a shock to a lot of people, including myself, uh, as I was watching it unspoiled. Um, now you're sort of left with this: where does Naito go from here? He's not obviously doesn't have a path towards Wrestle Kingdom. He doesn't have a uh, you know maybe I, I, I guess he'll potentially maybe could get like a title shot, but it feels like momentum wise, there's not much going on with Naito right now. And it feels weird to find his path towards uh Russell kingdom. And that's going to be the big issue right now is how he gets there, what he does. And, and you mentioned 2020 as, as a continued thing. And I guess I'll ask you, and I don't know if you've touched on this with, with any of your audio yet, but what, you know, it, it, it do you is that too long of a wait? We talk about how if we were booking, how we'd be terrified of doing that. We'd be absolutely fucking terrified yeah. of saying, I'll wait another year. You know what? I'll wait a year and a half. You know what? Fuck it. We'll wait two years until they have the story. I could never do that. I would never have the patience to do that. They presumably do, and they might 
do that with the 2020 Naito, but do you risk losing something with Naito if it's still another year and a half? You saw him get very, very close and then fail at Wrestle Kingdom. Then it felt like, all right, he's close again at G1, and then he fails again. I mean, how many times are you going to have this guy fail and it still matter and people still be invested in it? When do people eventually just say, this guy's kind of a failure? When does, I'm not saying he's on the same level as a Goto, but when does it kind of become a Goto thing where it's like, well, now I'm not going to invest anymore because this guy is just a failure? When does that come with Naito? Do you think that's there? Do you think it's close? Do you think it's near? Or do you think you could pull off the 2020 thing and, and have him slowly gain momentum until that time and then sort of break it off there? I think um, I said a lot about this on on the pay show, the Naito topic. So I'm going to try to bring some fresh takes here and not repeat myself. I think the LIJ and Naito fans um, were very emotional because I think deep down they thought he was going to win this tournament and and then win the title at at Wrestle Kingdom. I I do think it, it, listen I it's I did have someone tell me once you know you, you don't always give the fans what they want and sometimes it's a matter of and it's someone in the business and sometimes it's a matter of not giving it to them until they're frothing at the mouth for it is the key to make the most money off of it. Um, and, and what they're in danger of doing with Naito is the um, Tyler Black thing on a much larger scale, obviously. Tyler Black was ready the, to win the Ring of Honor title uh, long before he did. And it's acknowledged by all involved that they just waited too long to pull the trigger on him. Um, and certain things got in the way, you know, uh, Carrie Silkin wanted Jerry Lynn to have the wrestler type run and changing of bookers is a whole lot of bullshit that, you know, it got mixed in with that. But the point here is you don't want to wait too long and then miss the moment. And a lot of people are saying that new Japan may have done that. I don't see evidence of that. Um, there's obviously always that danger. I don't see signs of it yet. At the same time, it may be too early to see those signs. Wrestle Kingdom, I mean, it was almost nine months ago, though, to be fair. And I think that if we were going to start to see signs, we'd start seeing them. But what I want to see is, what I want to see are some Naito main events and see how they draw. If Naito main events now combined with the G1 failure, if he has main events the back end of the year, and I have no idea if he's going to main event any shows or um, and and we're, we start to see cracks, if he can't fill a 4,000-seater or something like that, then I think those are signs that fans have become impatient and they've tired of the story. And it's And this is an important point to make. It's entirely possible for the company to be successful and continue to grow while whiffing on this particular story. Right. That's right. entirely possible. But the only way we'll know is to see how Naito does on top moving forward after losing at Wrestle Kingdom and then coming up short in the G1 and really losing to all of the big opponents too, which I don't think is insignificant and I don't think is happenstance and I don't think we'll, we've heard the last of that. I do think he'll beat some of those people um, and get those wins back. Now, you know, I could totally see him move into a feud with Zack Sabre Jr. or something like that. 
Um, I could totally see that. And he would win that feud. Um, but if they're going to headline him in 2020, they need to stretch him out and give him things to do until then. I, I don't personally see signs that fans have given up on Naito. There were a lot of disappointed Western fans of Tetsuya Naito. Um, but I, I look, you know when you've drawn things out too far with the story and Mr. Mark, ticket buyers tell the story. And I know there's a lot, there's some people who listen to the show don't like hearing stuff like that, but we examine things from all angles. If you don't like the story they're telling with Naito from an entertainment standpoint, I'm not going to argue with you. That's your prerogative. Um, but that's something we can't really debate and come to a, a definitive conclusion on because that's just all in the eye of the beholder. To me, though, from a booking perspective, they made a mistake if Naito cools off to some extent and stops drawing like he used to. And it wasn't a mistake if he stays hot. That's it, Rich, it really is that simple. You know, if he headlines a destruction show or headlines whatever in the second half of the year and it fucking sells out, you know, in a week, I mean, what are we doing here? It means he hasn't cooled, these losses haven't cooled him off. And we've got a long time between now and 2020 because it doesn't look like he's going to be in the mix for that Tokyo Dome main event this year. That's pretty clear. So there's the possibility that they can blow this, this window. I just haven't seen evidence that they have. And I'm looking for it. For sure. Look, no. I, look I, we thought the guy was winning at Wrestle Kingdom. Right, yeah. So we're, we're and, I thought he was, and I thought he was winning the G1. Yeah. So I'm right with you too. <laughs> I mean, I'm I, scratching I, my head and I don't know yeah. what they're doing either. Now, I don't, now, I don't see either of those decisions as massive mistakes like some other people do because I'm looking for evidence of that. And if I yeah. see evidence of that, I'll come on this show and say so. But I don't see them as massive mistakes. Um, with this company, as patient as they – I know you want to jump in. One more thing. No, no problem. No, no. Go ahead. With this company, one thing they've exhibited always is being super patient with the booking, mm-hmm. which is why I give benefit of the doubt here with this. They, they could be telling a very patient story with him, which could culminate in 2020 on January 4th, 2020. Which really sounds like it's a mile away. It's like a year and three months away, right? And all and 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 I mentioned that I did want to jump in with that is that like you know I'm saying oh my god that feels like so long in, in in the future, but it's essentially a year from now. Naito's holding up a trophy with a bunch of confetti coming over him. You know what I mean? Like that seems yeah, like it's, eternity. It's, it's, it's one year and the world tag league away. I right? Mean, that's really <laughs> right. What we're dealing you know, with. Here. He, he wins. You know, beats fucking Chris Jericho or whoever at at Wrestle Kingdom. You know, has a decent New Japan Cup. And then wins the G1, you know, a year, a year from now. And yeah, it seems like an eternity, but given that their calendar, how quickly it turns over, it's not that far away, really. Can I ask you, I'm going to ask you a question. Yeah. And then we'll go over the card and then we'll move on. Tetsuya Naito, what about this theory? And I've, I've made this point sporadically over the years. What about the theory that his character, the way it's currently constructed, number one, doesn't need that title? And maybe they're thinking, fuck, this guy's over as fuck anyway. Why, why should we belt him up? We could use that tool to get people like Kenny Omega on the next level or tell a story with Okada. You, you see where I'm going with that, where sometimes people are so damn hot, they don't need a title. We've seen that historically in pro wrestling. And this, which I find more interesting, that I explored on, on the solo show after he lost to Zack Sabre Jr., the fact that maybe this Naito arc – 
Rich, when he lost to Zach, he hit that Destino and he dragged him by the arm and he pointed to the sky again, like he did against Okada. And he got overconfident and Stardust showed up again and he lost. He lost almost in the same way that he lost to Okada. Does the Naito character, and this is what I really want you to talk about, does the Naito character really, I believe the the tranquil, I don't give a fuck about anything. I think as a as a as a character device, it's a facade. It's bullshit. It's an insecure man who is never good enough. Who is using this, I don't give like an like an angsty teenager is using mm-hmm. this, I don't give a shit about anything as a mask to hide his insecurities. And from a story perspective, I don't think he's gonna win that title and have his big run until he admits to himself that it's him that's holding him back, not the company, not the man, not Okada, not uh, you know uh, Kadani, none of this bullshit. I think that's the law. Lo- that could be the long-term character arc here. Naito saying to himself, "You know what? I'm just making excuses, blaming everyone else." It's, it's not everything else that's holding me back. It's me that's holding me back. It's on me. And when he realizes that and comes to that realization, then he gets over the top. What do you think about that in terms of his gimmick is the reason that he's not the champion? No, I think there's a part to that, too. And you've mentioned it as well, that maybe his character is better off not being the champion right now because he, we've seen him when he wins these titles. He doesn't really care about them. He has one title that he cares about or whatever, which is the world title or whatnot. And and again, there's some insecurity in that as well. So there's a there's an angle to that that I could absolutely see that that, that his character. And, I, and I, we've always said that, that we think his character is that of, of, of a guy who is insecure. We saw... At Russell Kingdom, I mean, we, we talked about it. Andrew Rich wrote a great article about it um, as well on, on voicewrestling.com that in that moment, the Stardust genius came out again. You know, the, the guy that the 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 wrestling genius, the star, you, you know, uh, hold on. Did you just say Andrew Rich? Because I think it was um, it wasn't Andrew Rich. It was Joel Abraham. Wasn't oh, it? Andrew had Andrew had a bunch of tweets about it. You're right. It was Joel, I believe, that wrote. Uh, because I these. fucked that up on a paid show. And, <laughs> and they, they got at you. Yeah. I told Joel I was going to correct that. And then you just fucked it up, too. So let's plug the right guy. Yeah, it was Joel Abraham who wrote that article. But anyway, go ahead. Right about you know that that and we talked about that the point that 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 how important that point was for Tetsuya Naito and that moment where he got caught up in it and it felt like for a while he was not Lij Naito. He was back to the old school guy. He's pointing at the crowd. He's looking for the crowd. He wants them to cheer. He wants the ad- admiration. He wants them to to love him again. And then in that one moment, it just got him again. It was like fuck, like because that, this that Lij it. shit is not who he is. Right, exactly. And that was the moment where he had it, and he let the shell go, and he was back to being what he was before. But then he just didn't. It didn't happen. It just you know it did not work or whatever. So I agree that there is a part to that that could be. It could also be the, the issue that even if this is genuine, that he feels slighted that continuing to bitch about how slighted you are. And, and this is kind of the flip side of that. I see the angle that you're saying that he's, you know, bitching and that's just kind of a facade and he just got to kind of find himself and then he'll, he'll be back. But there's also the other angle too, that if you bitch and moan and complain and cry about the company screwing you over and over and over and over again, then at some point, don't those fans who are devoted fans of you, there's one of two ways they can go. They can either fall off and just say, all right, this guy's just a bitching, you know, this guy just whines and moans. And and he's had opportunities and he keeps failing and I'm I'm done with him or whatever. Or right. there's the idea that you get a little bit of backlash on the company of like, well, no, what the hell? Like, why is this guy not going? And that can work two ways. That can work positively, as we've seen, and it, I think in some ways has worked positively with Naito 
thus far. Or I think if it goes on a little too long, and that's the danger that I have. I think there's absolutely yeah, merit to the story. You're saying. What you're saying is he inadvertently turns the fans against the company through his right. gimmick. And do they now start saying, well, this is the guy. I love this right. guy. And they're fucking him over and over and over right, and over right, again. Right. I, you know, I'm less interested now. Or, nah, that's my guy, but it's not quite working. And that's kind of plays into my point because at some point he has to babyface the company. Right. He does. No, he absolutely you know has I mean? to. Because he cannot complain and bitch and moan for another year and a half, or else there's going to be how terrible the company is. Right, Right. he's got to babyface the company. And look, the bottom line is this: when he wins that title, if he wins that title again, he can't throw it over his shoulder like he doesn't care about it. It, it, It's you know because again, then what's the point of him having it? Right. At that point, you're just burying the company. And and your and if your gimmick is that you don't care about it or don't want it, then you shouldn't have it. That's why I think his gimmick has to evolve and he has to have some kind of awakening. I, I and that's just my take on it. I, I you know, but but I Rich, I've been saying that for years. I mean, I, to me, that's where it feels like we're going. But um okay, so forget about the goofy storyline stuff. Uh, but do you think, do you think I already gave my take, do you think they've missed the window and they're waiting too long on this? I don't right now but i would feel i felt like the wrestle kingdom one after we were done with that moment because there was a lot of people that thought that that was the window that they, the window closed and it was over i was confident because i thought no no, no the g1 it'll be next year's right, right, right. i don't know <laughs> you know what i mean i don't know right now i i just can't imagine without a drastic character change i don't know i i think that window may have closed for it for right now Without, like you said, without the caveat of him changing some parts of it, adapting a little bit, becoming more of a company guy in some way, doing something different. Because if he just goes another year complaining and doing the LIJ thing, I don't know. I think you do lose a little bit of steam. I think these people rally behind winners and and rally behind guys they think have opportunities and have chances to to make something happen. And I don't know if the IC title is that. And that's one of the big issues as well that, that a lot of people have brought up as well is does maybe New Japan just think that he's their new Shinsuke Nakamura, the guy that they can sort of fuck around with, occasionally have him in the main event mix, but you know he wins the IC title, and he's your second show main eventer, and you can just rely on, on him winning titles and selling merch and doing all that sort of stuff from the 1B side or, or the two, the number two guy in the company, one a guy like that. I don't, I don't know where I, I stand on that because I think they're dangerously close to doing that with him, and I don't know that the fans were always going to stick by him if that is because his rallying cry has always been opportunities and the title and the top of the company that I don't know if he just kind of settles into, hey, I'm happy to be the IC champion. That's pretty cool that I don't know if it's ever going to work. And I think they've established that by him throwing around the title and stuff. But I don't know that you can ever then have him be that IC champion or just be fine being the guy main eventing your second you know, Dontaku show or whatever, or just you know, semi main eventing big shows or whatnot. I don't know if you're ever going to be able to get that character to that level or, or, or make the fans invested in a character of that level. I, I don't know. I, it's, it's fascinating to see where they go with it because this completely throws everything for a loop. And, and that 2020 is still looming large, but it, it and while it seems far and it is actually kind of close, it just, I don't know. It's just so far in the distance that it's hard to know what the moving parts are going to be. I, I, to answer your question, I don't think the window is closed, but I think it's they're, they're closing it more than I thought they would. It's, it's, it's open a slither, but they're dangerously close to closing it all the way. I think. I think you could heat up Naito in a second. I really do. But here, 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 here's what we'll, here's my closing thought on this. If you go back and listen to our audio, our review of Wrestle Kingdom, we're confused. And I think basically what we said was, look, let's wait and see six months. 
Let's wait and see in a year. And then we can decide whether this was a terrible booking decision or not. And I think now with the benefit of hindsight, eight months later, um, you know, I don't think, you know, from a business perspective, you can't say it was a bad booking decision. And, you know, if, if Naito wins that match, we don't get Tanahashi's, we don't get Okada's record breaker versus Tanahashi. We don't get the Omega Okada match. We don't get Okada's story fully fleshed out. You know, and I liked those things and those things were good. And to me now, I can look back and say definitively that the Wrestle Kingdom decision was the right one. I'm going to say the same thing with this G1 thing. Was Naito not winning the G1 and losing these big matches and not even being involved in, you know, the focus being on Tanahashi, Okada, Abushi, and Omega instead of Naito for this G1. Will that has was that a huge mistake? I'm going to say the same thing I said after Wrestle Kingdom. I don't know. I'm going to wait six months, eight months, a year, and see. You know, and maybe because I'm not a huge Naito fan and I'm not emotional about it, I can be patient when it comes to assessing that. Wrestling is fun mm-hmm. when you get emotionally involved in the story. Oh, absolutely. And I think one thing that you mentioned as well, not, not to interrupt, but I think, the, and, and, and in other companies, we would be more upset about this. And I hear people already being like, oh, yeah, if this was happening in X, you'd be, you know, up in arms or whatever. But I think you and I both, you know, at New Japan. Uh, Mexico, hold on a minute. I, don't even know if I, I don't even know if I necessarily agree with that, but make, make your point. Yeah, well, I'm, all I'm saying is, though, that we have, and, and, and rightfully so, I'm the same way as you, and I think you're, you. Th- this is kind of the point you're making to an extent, is that I will give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't know how the story is going to play out. I don't know if the window is closed. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know if they've ruined it with Naito. But I'm willing to see it out and see what happens in the next year, in the next two years or whatever, because they have rewarded your patience. They have rewarded your benefit of the right. doubt type stuff. And that's where it differs a little bit. WWE does not reward you know, my benefit of the doubt. So when they fuck up Daniel Bryan, I'm not willing to wait. Oh, well, let's see after he signs or let's see after this because I basically know, nah, they're probably just going to fuck him up. If they change, if they do well, then okay, I'll congratulate them. But I'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to be patient about it. I'm going to say they fucked up by having with Baron Corbin and Kane. Because they fuck up things all the time. Right, right. And and some people might disagree. Some people might say, oh, New Japan has no stock with me, so they're fucking this up and they're ruining this. And that's totally fair. I get that. But I think that's where you and I are coming at it is I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Because there has been countless times where I've said, huh, I don't understand what they're doing here. This is a weird story. And then it's worked out. And then it's like, oh, yeah. That actually ruled. Or, you know, like at Wrestle Kingdom, I wanted Naito to win. I thought Naito should win. And then we had a great spring with Okada doing some record-breaking stuff. And and we wouldn't have gotten Dominion. And you said Hiroshi Tanahashi and and those sort of things. We wouldn't have gotten this storyline through G1. So I'm glad then that Okada won and and remained the champion. That was cool. But at the time, I'm, as you said, confused, bewildered. I don't understand quite what's going on. They benefited by that. That Okada stuff was a lot better than just Naito having a title run. Yeah, sure. Oh, absolutely. In hindsight, you know, and from a business perspective, he sold out every fucking show. So, honestly, I'm done talking about Wrestle Kingdom. That was just clearly the right decision, in my opinion. But, but what you're saying is, is precedent matters when it comes to these things. And New Japan has history, and there's a precedent there, and, and WWE's history has been bad. My whole thing is, we've got to move away from comparing anything in wrestling to WWE. They're playing a completely different game. Yes. And it, it, it's never apples and apples with WWE anymore. It just isn't. We've got to get away from that. They, 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 
every other promotion on earth, including New Japan, is one horrendous booking decision away from absolute disaster. WWE is not. They're insulated by a billion-dollar television deal. The booking has never mattered less. To their credit, they've made sure that the booking has never mattered less. They've wisely moved their business model in another direction to where now Vince McMahon can play God and just fuck around with the pieces that he likes best. Because if this were 1984, we wouldn't be getting Roman Reigns and Brock Brock Lesnar again. We would have stopped pushing Roman Reigns years ago if they were relying on the same business model that New Japan and other companies are relying on. They wouldn't be able to fuck around with this guy to the extent that they have and make the horrible booking decision. They're insulated from it. They're playing a different game. It's not apples and apples. It just isn't. So we really have to move away from that stuff. You, you know, you want to compare New Japan to someone, compare them to ROH or All Japan, anyone else you want that's still operating under a traditional pro wrestling business model of we need to push the right people or we cease to exist. We die if we don't might make the right booking decisions. WWE is not operating under that premise. Now, some would argue that eventually poor booking decisions will catch up with them. I agree with that, but it doesn't have that immediate impact that it would have in these other companies. So it's a different game, and we really have to stop that. All right, anything else on uh, Naito there? Are we ready to move on to uh, the rest of the G1 final? We've, <laughs> we've yeah, gone uh, through. This is, this is a long one right now. So. <laughs> Let's run through the show. Okay. I think there's a, a couple things that we can talk about uh, in terms of the rest of the matches. We already did the final. So let's start with the opener, which was Togi Makabe and Tomo Akihanma teaming with Mike Elgin. And uh, they took on Shota Minu, Yuji Nagata, and Ayato Yoshida, who, if you watch the Lionsgate shows, is a Kayantai Dojo wrestler. Big strapping kid, tons of potential, looks like a future star. He gets pushed in Lionsgate. He works main events. He's had a thing going with Uminu there. He's always involved with Nagata there. It's very clear New Japan likes him. Yuji Nagata talks about him all the time. Look, maybe some people won't like this, but Ayoto Yoshida is going to be a New Japan wrestler. Yes, and he's going to be one very soon. <laughs> yeah, they're stealing. Uh, the Kaito Dojo shirt is not long for this world. That, and, it's, uh, and it's not even that they're stealing him. Kaito Dojo is not a real promotion. It's a tiny, tiny... I don't even know to call it an indie. It's Takamishinoku's little training dojo. He runs little shows that draw a couple hundred fans. If if Takamishinoku, if you're going to be up in arms because New Japan is stealing this guy from Kayata, listen. If Takamishinoku knows that he has a kid who has the potential to be a star, he's pushing him to New Japan. Right. Okay. Open your eyes. This is not a, a situation. And that's also they're... better. That's also better for his future as well. And that, that's something. That's something that people kind of forget as well. Is that if Taka trains this guy or, or, or finds this guy or whatever, and then he goes into Japan and becomes a pretty big deal, more people are going to want to go to his training school because they're going to want that pipeline. So it's it's only a benefit to Taka and Kind of Dojo if he goes out. It just works for everyone. The idea that this is some kind of dirty business is absolute nonsense. This is not Harold May meeting in the shadows with Kento Miyahara <laughs> trying to steal him from all Japan. That's not what this is. This is a, an affiliated wrestler and an affiliated company yeah, it's been all over you know, the Lionsgate shows and stuff. Yeah, they, yeah. They know. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's not a... a... Kayatai Dojo has no designs of running the Tokyo Dome someday, okay? <laughs> oh, you don't is... know that. You don't know that, Joey. You know, so, I mean, this is just such silliness that people are talking. But this kid has a lot of potential. Yeah. Interestingly enough, he took the pin here. 
not Shota Umino, which is telling you, hey, look, you're, you're going to work our big show here, but uh, you're below even our young lions in the pecking order when you come here. Okay. I thought that was interesting that he lost the match. So uh, Yoshida, kid with a ton of potential, has really good matches on the Lionsgate shows. But Togima, but uh, Tomaki Hanma's back. And we didn't, haven't talked about that at all. And, you know, he came back. Uh, he actually worked the night before is where he got a real good reaction. Um, I'm not looking uh, at the result there, but uh, in the match where he was opposite of Okada. And I don't know if you watched it because you didn't watch any of the undercards. But, yeah, I didn't uh, see that one. So when he came out, I was I was like watching it and, and I didn't really necessarily pay attention. All of a sudden, I'm like, wait, wait a minute. That's Hanma in the ring. Like, what the fuck? Like, it just kind of caught me because he just kind of walked out there. He's kind of jo- And for me, I just like saw him out there and I was like, oh, yeah, OK, cool. Makabe and Hanma. And then it took like a minute where I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> it's Tomaki Hanma. And he looks great. Yeah, he looks awesome. He's in great shape. Show previous, he got a great reaction. And of course, he missed his first Kokeshi, <laughs> uh, you know, on Okada. But then Okada went heel and and used the Kokeshi on Hanma. So yeah, it was real heated. But uh, and it was a much uh, better match and heated match than this opener was. But uh, but Hanma's back. This gives Togi Makabe a little bit of direction. Look, I have no idea how hard Hanma can go. Um, I don't know if he's going to be doing Kokeshi's off the top turnbuckle to the floor at this point. Probably uh, just let that one go that, away. You know what I mean? That, just, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if he does it, honestly. Yeah, I mean, get, he's nuts. He is but, nuts, but you get just as much of a reaction to doing a Kokeshi in the middle of the ring. So just just do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, oh, shit, the Mets beat the Phillies 24 to 4. Yeah, you didn't see that, that earlier? Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> I saw that pop up earlier. I'm like, okay, there we go. That's uh, some result. It's a score, uh, an odd sport. Uh, but yeah, so I did the, the story here though is uh, Yoshida. I think he's got a ton of potential. He did, you know, size wise, he's you know he's got the size to work New Japan. He's got the look that they like. So uh, so that was the opener. Then we had Bad Luck Fale against Toa Hanare. There was a little bit of speculation that maybe there'd be an angle here and Hanare would join the Tongans. That didn't happen. No. He got beat in a squash match. Um, you know, to further establish Fale's dominance and all those sorts of things. Don't have a ton more, um, uh, you know, to say about no, this one. Match was a minute and forty nine minutes, and Balak Fali beat him. That's, I mean, that's yeah. That's it. And uh, you know, I think Hanari is a future star. I really do. I think he has he shows great fire, and I, I think he's someone who, um, if he sticks with the company, has a future with it. We had Taichi and uh, Takashi Azuka. They beat Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi. I was a little surprised by the result, but really, this match was designed to get Taichi over. Um, and I listened to the uh, uh, English commentary on this one, and they all put over Taichi real fucking hard after this match too. And Goto, who is the never champion, never wins a match anymore. Um, and you know Taichi is still chasing that never title. He picks up a win here, and it looks like uh, Taichi at least is going to have a mild mid card push that will continue, um, especially with the results here and, and how strong he was put over, and 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 he was the one standing in the end. Yeah, so. I mean, it was definitely the match was designed, and you could see even the, even if it wasn't the English commentators putting them over, which always is a big thing. Like we said, it's always you, you know when they're they're pushing something. It's obviously something that's being you know directed in a lot of ways, but also the match, the way it was sort of laid out and everything was 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 designed for Taichi uh, to be looking like the, the focal point here. So yeah, it definitely uh, definitely Taichi the rest of the fall. I'll look for him to be getting a pretty decent push. What, what knows who knows what the push will end up with, but definitely this this match was surrounded by him, and, and it was all about him for sure. You know a good. I want to go back to this Yoshida thing. You know a good comp for that. It would be like saying that you want Matt Riddle to stay with Evolve and not go to WWE. It's like Evolve is not ever going to be a massive player where Matt Riddle can make a ton of money and become a huge star. It, Evolve 
is a stepping stone at this point, clearly, yeah. to WWE. It's like that's Kai and Tai Dojo. That's what the, it, it's never going to be. Right. And, that, and that's probably arguably better for their business at this point now for guys to yes. move on. Like it'd be bad if nobody on the roster ever moved on. Then it would be like, well, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to go somewhere else. And and we've always said that with gay promotions where if you could work any place, work a gay promotion, because WWE obviously, you know, will, will and, and, and Gabe knows that too. And in, in terms of the way he books guys and the way in terms of other parts, you know, aspects of the business too, he understands that he's a pipeline and that there's people that will, work for you know maybe less than they're worth to get on a game show which I, I don't blame them you know what i mean there's there's an idea that hey i work enough of these shows i'm gonna get noticed and i'm gonna get because this is the pipeline and that's that's the benefit to becoming one of those pipelines it's like you know you wanting austin theory to stay on evolve for the next five years like that'd be the worst thing ever for austin theory to be on evolve in 2023 or whatever no you want him to do you know develop and then move on and that's kind of the next step for for evolve and yeah that's what k dojo should be hoping for yeah if you want to make an argument that Okay, it'd be nice to see guys stick with Impact or nice to see guys stick with MLW or someone, a promotion that has designs on being a real player. That's different to me. You know, sure. that, that's why I say it'd be different if they were trying to go. If, if you want to sit here and complain if New Japan is going out there and trying to steal Miyahara, Nakajima, and all these guys from promotions that are trying to make a real go at becoming players and, and being a full-time destination for people. That, that's a completely different, but it's Kai and Tai Dojo. Give me a break. <laughs> it's where Dinosaur Takuma fucks around. It's not, you know, a, a legitimate uh, big-time promotion. It's, it's a fucking, it's Kai and Tai Dojo. Give me a break. It'd be like, it'd be like advocating that someone should stay in CZW. I mean, right. it's just, it's just, it's silliness. Um, Hangman Page and Cody, Cody who parachutes in for the big show. <laughs> What? Uh, I saw Cody come out. I'm like, he got a flight for this. <laughs> like, well, now we know why because they defeated David Finley and yeah. Robinson, and Cody wants that U.S. title. So uh-huh. we're gonna have Cody versus Juice Robinson. I have no problem with that as a program. In fact, I have no problem with Cody winning that title. No, I don't. One uh, thing I do kind of have a mild problem with is so a, f- a few weeks ago, Cody helped out Kenny Omega, right? It was this big moment where the Bullet Club finally yeah, they, you know, they reconciled. Yeah, right. And I was just a fucking heel again. You know what I mean? He's just an asshole heel that's just right back to being Cody. Wasn't he a – wasn't that effectively a face turn? Was that, did I miss something? Shades of gray, my man. I, I get real shade. I mean, uh, there was pretty black here. I don't know. There wasn't much gray, but he was – He was pretty much a, a, a giant cock. You're right, right. about that. I mean, and Hangman I don't know. Page was a baby face for a lot of G1. Right, the entire G1, and then he was just an asshole yeah. heel again. I, that, awesome it's just, music, by the way. Awesome yeah. walk. I love that Hangman Page song. Are you into that like I'm into that? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty sweet. It's pretty great. Um, but yeah, that's I whatever. I don't the blurred weird lines of where the bullet club is. And it's at some points, it's just whatever they want to do on that night. Whatever's relevant for being the elite at that time yeah. while they're recording it, which more power to those guys. Cause they can do whatever, but this is weird. Cause I thought it was like, Oh, Cody's definitely like turn a corner and the bullet, And then he's just right back to what he was, you know, the total dickhead. He, you know, whatever, whatever with super hearing. He's got the super hearing, Rich. He puts his hand up to his ear. He can, <laughs> right. he can hear what you're talking about on the other end of the arena. Um, I don't really watch Being the Elite. Do you watch that? Uh, I do. It's I fine. Really every so, I'll put it on the background. Like I, I don't know if it's like this amazing thing that everybody needs to review and talk about every single week. I think it's an important thing, and and it's fine. Like I'll put it on and and, and watch them. I mean, you know, not everyone's uh, awesome, but there's some good stuff in those. But I like the little inside stuff that they I pre- do. Well, yeah, and I appreciate the fact that they're working angles through YouTube and working angles through these multiple companies or what. It's a, it's another arm of the whole whatever the the Bullet Club thing is or whatever. So it's cool in that respect. But yeah, it's not anything that like I think you have to you know drop everything the second they put out a show and watch it. It's not that good. Yeah. 
I'm a fucking smark, so I like all that dumb inside shit. That yeah, like them fucking around by you know in Connecticut or them hanging around Madison Square Garden. Like, yeah, I like that stuff. It's kind of fun. So. But as far as like Cody having super hearing and Hangman Page being a murderer, you know, I could I could do without that stuff. No, a too silly for me. I do enjoy. I, I liked a lot. Um, I, I had the nurse watching a few of them too, where they like when they were feuding and they would still go out to restaurants together. And like you know, Kenny yes. was like. You know, tell Cody to pass me the ketchup. And like Cody's like, right, tell right, Kenny, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to pass it. You know, like stuff like that. I enjoy. That's like they're they're pretty funny in that respect. Where you know they'd be eating ice cream and staring at each other and stuff like that. Stuff's kind of cool. So there there's subtle stuff in there. It, like every episode has at least one thing that's kind of funny. But yeah, it's not like anything that I think you have to go out of your way to watch every single week. But it's fun to put on every so often. And they would they'll sign with WWE and we'll have being the elite on the network and it'll fucking suck. Yeah, it'll be garbage, you know, <laughs> overproduced <laughs> and terrible. Yeah, you know. So, okay, here we have something to talk about. We had, uh, speaking of uh, being the elite, the Bucks and Marty Skrull taking on Tamatanga, Tangaloa, and Taiji Ishimori. And, uh, the big boner. The big boner. The big boner. And the Tongans decided that they wanted this to be for those never open weight straps. That promo. Dear God, the promo that Tangaloa was, and I know it was in Japan, and I know that they don't probably know every single word that he was saying. It was fucking. It reminded me. Remember when these teams used to come out and it'd be crickets? This yes. was. He was. I, what, he, his cadence was just off. He was. Ta- I don't know what the hell he was like. He was trying to get over that he didn't know who these guys were, but the crowd was just kind of like confused. I think the ring announcer was like, uh, "Marty Scroll. <laughs> like you know what this is, right? It's Marty Scroll. Like I don't know what he was going for, but dear God, it was it's like disrespected. Like you're nobody, you know? right? But it was so awkward and terribly done that it made him just look like a giant goofball. You know what I mean? It, he didn't exude the right. confidence of, oh, I don't even know who our opponents are. Who cares? Bring the titles out. Like, that's essentially all he did. And, but unfortunately, it took him 10 minutes to say, bring those guys out. We want the titles. But he, it's, it took like 10 minutes of him doing it. It was really awkward, really terrible, and the crowd made no reaction the entire time. And yeah, Tangaloa should was... probably not get a live mic again. So, Well, I don't know. He's way better than Tama Tonga, which is why I think he's cutting the live <laughs> Well, that's not the good shows. then, because he sucks too. Maybe give Taiji Shimori a try. See how he can do. So, But uh, it, this was like Kona Reeves saying, Dave who? Like, that's what he was doing yeah, too. Right, right. No, I know, but he just did it horribly. He had no, no, I know, I know. charisma yeah. while he was he, doing it. It was just like, who are we facing? Who are they? Yeah. And then he goes to the ring and out to the ring. So, Marty's girl. Who? <laughs> Marty's girl. Yeah. I don't know who that is. And it's like, oh, it, Jesus Christ, let's go. It did not get over. It did not get over. No. Uh, that is that is for certain. Um, so they they said that they wanted these never open weight. They wanted those no, no, straps. They wanted those motherfucking never open weight titles. They too. wanted those motherfucking. Yeah, because, you know, profanity is banned. <laughs> they banned profanity a week ago. And on every show, every wrestler is cursing. They're wearing T-shirts that say fuck on them. So we'll unpack that in a second. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So they decide they want these titles. Well, new Japan doesn't do that. They don't do this impromptu shit. Okay. So the bucks and squirrel, you know, their baby faces on this show, as you just discussed it, whenever it's convenient with the bullet club guys is what they are. And they're like, okay. But then Harold may our man, big Harold stands up in the front row and he's pointing saying, yeah, go ahead. Make it for the titles. Like an authority figure. Okay, just changing the rules on the fly. So now the whole world knows that Bullet Club is winning these titles. They go on to win a decent match, three and a quarter star match or whatever the fuck. Okay, they win. the never open weight six man titles. But Rich, we need to talk. We need to have a conversation about Harold May. Yeah. And um, 
you know, they, they banned the profanity and everyone's still cursing. So I have no idea if this was some kind of storyline thing and it's going to be continued at some point or, you know, many outlets reported it as legitimate. If it is, the wrestlers don't seem to care and they're not following those orders. And the man is sitting at ringside while they're cursing. Um, so he's not exactly taking action. And now this was the second time that Harold May made himself part of an angle. First time he's chasing the Bullet Club uh, away and preventing them from interfering in a match. He's out there with the Young Lions and the other suits, uh, which was totally out of line. And I, you know, I said in one of my pay reviews that he looked like a Joe Coff level geek out there. Oh, he's, he's horrible, and he's horrible at acting too. We'll talk about that as the end of this match. He's not good, so yeah, he needs to shelve that real fast. And then this time as well, standing up, approving of a title match, which on its own, if you got rid of the other angle from a couple days earlier, and you got rid of the no cursing thing, which turned out to have no teeth, I wouldn't have minded it as much. Okay, but now this is like the third time he's made himself part of an angle to the point. That Japanese fans were incensed on social media, and he had to release a statement <laughs> saying that he promises not to do this again. This is why I love New Japan so much because he does this. He does WWE bullshit, Western bullshit, and then has to apologize for it. This is why I watch yes. New Japan because he has to apologize for being an authority figure. I fucking love it. I love it. So I think Big Harold has been feeling himself. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, he wanted to well, be remember involved. The Dominion, in remember the Dominion video, the opening video? I don't know if you actually watched the opening oh, video, yeah. but it's yeah, like yeah. Harold hanging out in it with his, like, Chromecast or whatever he was doing. Yep. Know, was he doing? He was, like, watching call. it on, like, a, a, a shitty little laptop or something like that. He's in, his, he's in his penthouse apartment overseeing fucking whatever city he was in. He's watching the New Japan match. He's watching an Okada-Tanahashi match. Kadani's like, hey, bro, I want you to run New Japan. And Harold's like, yeah, man, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> cool, bro. And he closes, and he closes his laptop. And then, you know, he shows up at Dominion to uh, take a bow in front of the crowd, which was only the first part of this man's ego, apparently, because his <laughs> ego is running wild towards the G1. Harold. Maybe Harold Mays went into G1 next year. You know, maybe <laughs> he's going to run the table and, and take everybody out and beat Naito in the final. You know, who knows? But uh, his ego is out of control. The fans called his ass out on it. And the question now is, will he be smart enough to get the fuck out and just get in the back never be seen the way Kadani was never seen and just run the fucking company and stop being a mark for yourself and stop interjecting yourself in angles. Cause it's not a good look. Yeah. The Herald stuff was hilarious. And at the end of this match as well. So you have the, uh, as I mentioned, the bullet club, uh, they win, they win the titles and they just throw the titles down uh, in front of Harold. And then he just like stands up and in the worst acting ever, it's just like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? It's just, it looks so bad. It's like, yeah, after this night, it was like, all right, I think I'm kind of, I got my fill of Harold. I just don't want, again, we talk about all the time, the bullet club interference and stuff, the, the, the Tomatonga interference stuff. And I think there's been a lot of buildup too, because that sort of stuff's been happening. And there was general complaints about Western wrestling. You know what I mean? And, and I love that. It's just like side swipes at WWE or whatever when they say this, but WWE and WCW, and, and what we've sort of known as Western wrestling or whatnot. But I like the idea that people are, are pissed off about it. And yeah, they don't want an authority figure. They don't want a bunch of interference. They don't want a very visible guy sort of running the show here. So yeah, it'd be best if, if Harold just, yeah, goes back. And because I think it works way better. I do not, I would, it would really honestly, and I mean this 100% honest, if he was making matches and come out on every show and, and be the guy pulling the strings or whatever, my enjoyment of New Japan would be reduced by a lot. Like I hate authority figures. 
Anytime yeah. I see a company and they have an authority figure, I groan audibly. When I go to an indie and a guy comes out and he's making matches, I gr- I can't do it anymore. I'm so burnt out on the authority figure thing that it, it would it would honestly, if he even if it was at the beginning of the night, he just kind of said, "Hey, here are the matches that I'm going to do," and then maybe every so often he would like this, like make it a title match or whatnot. I it would make me even if everything else was the same, I would enjoy it less knowing that there's an authority figure. I hate authority figures. Yeah, it's, it's a bad. trope. It's, it's a stupid trope. And it doesn't need to be a trope. People have there's people that have grown up only knowing that there's GMs and, and authority figures in WWE. Wrestling existed for many, many years with guys just making matches. You know what I mean? Like matches were made in the back or they were just made and guys had matches. They didn't need to be said. They didn't need to be constructed by a general manager. They didn't need to be wheeled and dealed and whatnot. Like, but there are people, again, like we always forget this. There are people that don't know any other wrestling. Oh, I mean this big Harold. He needs to heed this warning yes. and stay the fuck out of things. I don't ever want to see him. No. Get in the back, cut your toy deals, make your business moves, <laughs> grow the company. That's your role. Get off the camera. It, 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 it's no good. So we had LIJ against Suzuki Gun. This is a standard uh, 4v4 tag, 4x4 tag. Um, I have nothing to say about this. Um, you know, it's it, it was what it was. I, I think that Naito might be moving into something with Zack Sabre Jr., to get that win back, we'll see. see I saw, I I saw a little bit more of Suzuki and Naito in this match, and then building yeah, a little bit towards that. that too. Yeah, I could, I could totally see that. I just think at some point he has to beat Saber. So, um, I don't, you know, he might go through uh, Suzuki first. I don't know. So, we'll see. We had Jay White, Tomohiro Ishii, and Toru Yano. Uh, they beat Chase Owens, Kenny Omega, and Yujiro. I fucking hated this. They did that spot. Um, you know, there's a lot of comedy here, and, and they did that spot with uh, with the valet that I that I wasn't a big fan Peter, of. And, Peter, um, I always get her mixed up with um, Mao. You think of Mao, but Mao's yeah, long, yeah, Mao's yeah. Mao's long gone, unfortunately. Oh, Mao is gone. Okay, Mao's okay. Gone. I, I don't know. I forget who uh, Taichi's current uh, one is. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that is Mao. But is it Taichi Peter? No, no, no. This one. Peter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I come on. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> you got to know these things. No, you're you're a broadcast journalist, right? I I suppose so. Uh, I can tell you who Yujiro is. I don't know. Here's the reason why you need to know Peter because, and and this is why you should never f- forget Peter because her. And we've talked about this before. Her Instagram name. Do you remember what her username is? Uh, I don't, but I remember it was funny. Yeah, it's Muffin zero three zero ass. So it's Muffin thirty ass. ass so yes. That's why. That's how you can okay. never forget. So that's Peter. That is Yujiro's okay. girl. Muffin ass. Muffin ass. Just think of anytime you see her, think of Muffin ass. Okay, the, muffin ass, got it. I think I can keep that sorted out. And then Mao is gone now. I forget who uh, who who Taiichi is with now. Someone's gonna someone is screaming right now as a listener. Yeah, this. I don't I know who that is, and I should, but um, my heart will always be with Mao. So I don't, I don't, I don't acknowledge this new woman. So uh, Kushida, Rey Mysterio Jr., and pro wrestler Sengoku Enbu, <laughs> uh, a new wrestler, and uh, they Brand defeated new, yeah. Kazuko. Random debut. Had never heard of this guy Random before. Debuting wrestler. Uh, I didn't like him. Against uh, Kazuchika yeah, Okada, yeah, he fucking stunk. So, and Rapongi 3K, um, Rey Mysterio Jr. looked like shit, and I'm gonna be the one brave enough to say it. If this guy's going to WWE, it's not gonna end well unless he uh, loses a little weight. He looked a little chunky, mm-hmm. and uh, he his work was not the best here. Um, I don't know if this was mailed in. He didn't look smooth. Um, I did not like all the six one nine setups in a New Japan setting. I think I've always thought that move was silly, um, and I didn't like it in this scenario. Um, you know, in a promotion where you know 
one match earlier, they're doing a rowboat spot with the valet and everybody looking at her ass. So, uh, you know, I'm going to in a promotion where they tend to take things more seriously. But to be fair, I ripped that too. Right. Um, so I just don't like this stuff in New Japan. I think the 619 is a dopey move. It's always oh, yeah. contrived. I, in my Q&A, somebody um, asked me my least favorite move, and I, I mentioned Big Show's punch was one that I hate. I mentioned the slingshot. Yeah. I mentioned the 619 too because it's like just don't don't sit on the middle rope when you're against Rey Mysterio. You know what I mean? Like nobody ever does it. What other scenario? Yeah, nobody ever sits on that middle rope. Nobody it's ever sits on that middle rope for any other thing except for a Rey Mysterio match. So I hate I hate moves that are like that. I absolutely despise. Yeah. I know it's pro wrestling and it's silly and whatever, but I hate that shit. I cannot get over that. I can't get over yeah, the well, idea. Maybe, uh, maybe I don't want it to be silly. Right. About that. Yeah, that's you know, uh, you know. But anyway, I don't think he looked good here. No, and, he looks like uh, crap. And we've been talking about it. And on the show, we've talked about how he's looked really good. And I, I mentioned before, oh my yes. God, he sheds a little bit of weight, gets those knee braces off. He looks a little good here, you know, not at, at the you know at the expense of maybe getting in a lot of trouble by saying this, but he looked a little bit bigger and in bigger in muscle mass and stuff. And that's that was a thing with Ray for a long time. And that's why he wasn't able to go in WWE and why it felt like once he left that company, he was finally rejuvenated because he he shed that weight. He's not meant to be 215 pounds. He's fucking Ray Mysterio. You know what I mean? Like he needs to be skinny. He's that's where that's his natural body weight. And in WWE, he eventually gained that weight and his knees broke down and he just couldn't do anything. And it seemed like he had then shed that weight and got back and now he's he's big again. So you know, I get it. He's going yeah, to WWE. Well, he's got to be, and he wants to be big again. So I get it. Go ahead, but if that's where he's going, I mean, look, I'm over it in New Japan. I don't need to see him in New Japan anymore. I mean, he yeah. does nothing for me here anymore. I thought that, um, I, I just, yeah, he has been, you know, looking. I, he, I put him over the last time. What was that? It was uh, oh, the strong uh, style evolved. I think is that the one you're talking about? He looked great. No, 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 there. no, 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 no. It was uh, Dominion. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Dominion match, I thought he looked really good and he looked sharp. And uh, that was only, what, two months ago or something like that? So I don't know what happened between then and now. I guess he's wrestled some a few matches, um, some indie matches in between. I know he wrestled uh, Flip Gordon not too long ago because that was uh, – for that dude, uh, the new promotion, right? The one where Cody Rhodes is in tight with yeah. the promoter. And and but I think one of the issues that happened there, and that's why I, I you know, I mentioned WWE stuff. I think that they actually let me let me find out for sure. I'm pretty sure that they announced him for a show in a few months, but then now have said that he's not gonna show up All right. because he's going to WWE. And they should have said because of his commitment to WWE or whatever. Let me let me see if they still have that out there um before I I thought I read that somewhere, but let me make sure that uh, that was actually a thing that they said. So yeah, well, I mean, we all know he's going. Yeah, I mean, it's if yeah. Looks like this, he's not gonna be able to hang. I mean, I you know, it's he just did not look good here. This was a a eye opening poor performance by Ray Mysterio Jr., who is a legend and uh, you know, great one of the greatest wrestlers of all time and one of my favorites to watch. Okay, and, here we go. Uh, this, this is on their, their Facebook page, the Northeast Wrestling. It says, unfortunately, due to his upcoming contractual situation with WWE, Rey Mysterio is unable to appear on August 24th. If you purchase Rey Mysterio pre-ordered meet and greet items, they will be refunded and could be used towards other superstars. So there you go. August 24th, which that's a week. <laughs> he can't show up on the show because of a future WWE contract negotiations or whatever, or, or situation. That's what they say. So that's, I mean, there's no reason to beat around the bush. That's where he's going. So, so that was to, your semi-main event. So that's you have to parlay show. that to the big guy. The big guy will be there, Ryback. So if you need a uh, Ryback yes. uh, meet and greet, you can you can parlay that over to, to old uh, old Ryback. So kind of a drop in stature there, I would say. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> meeting Ray Mysterio Jr. to meeting the Ryback. <laughs> big guy twenty, the old big guy twenty. But that's all right. 
Yeah. What was it, Ryan? What was it, Ryan 33? How old was he? Ryan 33. I forget the age. Nice. Ryan 33. It's probably like Ryan 36 now. <laughs> I was going to say it's a while, but yeah. It's, but if he's right. smart, it still says Ryan 33. Yeah. Is that the game? You know the game. That's you know the game. The tricks, yeah, because, well, yeah, you know, you got the search. You got the age slider on the search. So you don't want to bump yourself out. Maybe, you see, 36 is a big one because a lot of women probably have the slider set to 35. You know what I mean? Got it, and got then it, they're got out. It, but when do you so tell you them that they're actually 30? But like you get to know them a little bit and then you, it just depends. Plead, you plead ignorance with it and be like, oh, yeah, I'm 37. Like, I don't know. Like, yeah, it's well, it's Tinder. So it depends. Okay. Like if you're both just in it to fucking smash, no one cares about the facts on either side. You know what I mean? It's like, but if you're having a real conversation with the person, yeah, I think it. you owe it to them to eventually drop your real age, you know, just in case they, they like you legit. And it's not just. Nah, I'm only interested in your penis. Couldn't care less how old you are. You know what I mean? Then it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Because they're not even, they probably didn't even look at your age to begin with when they fucking swiped. So, you know, it all depends. But I do think you owe it to the person. Because um, a lot of people are shaving ages on men and women. Believe me, on, on Tinder. Trust me. You know, you're having a real conversation and it might be going somewhere. But, you know, like TLB doesn't think I'm 30. You know what I'm saying? She, she knows how old JL is now. You know, so you, you, at some point you gotta you gotta be honest about it. Yeah, sometimes yeah. you gotta lie to get get the way you need. Because like Michelle, I always I I think I've told this story as well. Is the reason I found her on Match is that eventually I just was like, you know what? I because I, I I didn't want to. You know, they have a smoker. Do you want to date a smoker? And I always said no. And then I said, you know, when when I eventually met her, I, I put it on maybe. That was like my last search. I was like, you know what? Forget it. Or or maybe or sometimes I forget is maybe the option there it was smokes sometimes. I'm like, you know what? If they smoke a few times, whatever. I don't fucking care anymore. I've been on this thing forever and I can't find anybody. So smoke. Let sometimes. me just see if it casts a wider net. Right. Exactly. Smoke sometimes. I don't care. Well, she smoked all the time. But, you know, sometimes was like she's now she's since quit or whatever. But when I met her, I said. Sometimes, you know, as she's doing her, you know, fifth cigarette of the day, and I'm like, God, it's sometimes a little, maybe a little aggressive there. If it's after every meal, every night, every, you know, I mean, like, I kind of stretch sometimes there a little bit, but you know what I mean? That's what you got to do. So sometimes, you know, sometimes you got to lie yeah. to get to where you need to get to. So cast that wider net. Yeah. Know? So it works. Huh? So, Rich, I have a question for you. I think I have an answer. Are you a Voices of Wrestling <laughs> subscriber? <laughs> We've talked about this for like what four weeks now. I still am not though. I don't. I you, you try to convince. Try one more. T- try it today. Convince me, Joe, to become a voice wrestler. Rich, subscriber. why the hell not? We offer the most affordable, biggest bang for your buck premium subscription in the industry. Tiers start at only two dollars, which is basically free, and just five dollars per month gives you access to our entire archive and everything we do including the overrun, our flagship extension that guarantees that we will never run out of time again. Joe and Rich recommend matches to each other, arguably our most popular bonus show where we get a chance to stretch our legs, get away from current events, step back in time, and break down wrestling from the past. Instant Reaction, which airs live on YouTube where you get our freshest takes on major shows. Subscriber-only Anything Goes Q&A mailbags. Twice weekly TV reviews where every Monday and Thursday... Joe, that's me, breaks down the latest in TV wrestling. Special editions of Bouncing Around Japan and Bouncing Around the Indies. Exclusive subscriber-only interviews with the big names from inside the business. Classic content dusted off from our pre-audio boom archives. Rich's squashing buttons live video game gimmick. And eventually, one of these days, the return of Lands Unfiltered, the greatest three-episode run in podcasting history. And, of course, anything else that we come up with, 
What are you waiting for? If you listen to the flagship every week and you're listening to it right now, there is no reason not to subscribe. Go to patreon.com slash voices of wrestling. Find the tier that works for you and subscribe today. Well, yeah, we got the fire pro coming out. I was gonna say we got the fire pro coming out. So that squashing buttons is going to get dusted off here uh, very shortly. Once that fire pro comes out, I cannot wait to to watch terrible at fire. Pro. so bad at it, but that'll be good. It'll be a learning experience for people to uh, yell at me and try to get me better. I've, I've I've gotten a little bit better at recently. I've been practicing on the dreamcast version to try to get a a little bit better, but uh, yeah. I'm into that. I, I are you get you better get it, man. We got to do the competitive matches. We got to have <laughs> streams of you and I doing the competitive matches to get stars. I'm, I'm I love that feature. I basically convinced my friend to get the game because of that. The idea that we could have competitive matches. You know what I mean? Like you're not trying to beat me. We're trying to you know we'll, we'll agree who's going to win, but we are going out there to have a competitive match. I mean that that's that I cannot wait for that. Fire Pro is coming out. Uh, I think two weeks uh, for PS4. So definitely uh, want to check that out. And also if you're going to order it, VoiceRacing.com/slash/Amazon because of course we should order it. But yeah, watch out. Squash the buttons. We'll be getting dusted off pretty soon. Joe, take it away. SummerSlam weekend. So we got to try to get this in before we run out of time. Got to preview the SummerSlam. Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns is clearly the uh, hardest pushed match on the show. They've done some interesting angles over the last couple of weeks, trying desperately to put some heat on this match and to put some heat uh, on Brock Lesnar, get people to cheer Roman Reigns. Uh as of a few weeks ago, from multiple sources, we're hearing that Brock's winning again. So um, that should stun no one at this point. Who knows if that's really how it's going to play out. I think what's more interesting, Rich, and I want your opinion on, is what kind of reception is this match going to get? <laughs> Are they going to boo both men? Have they successfully gotten it to the point where they're going to get legitimate heat on Brock Lesnar and get people to cheer Roman Reigns. Keep in mind, this is taking place in Brooklyn. You know, they've done a bunch of angles with Paul Heyman where he teased breaking up with Brock. Then he's spraying Mason, Roman Reigns' eyes. How do you think this is going to fall in terms of crowd reactions? I, I tend to think, I mean, I think they've done a, a pretty decent job of getting people to boo and, and, and get negative against Brock or whatnot. But then I think what they did wrong is this week, as you mentioned, you know, Paul Heyman sprays Mace in, in Roman's face. Brock comes out, beats the fuck out of Roman, F5s, and the crowd goes fucking nuts. They're going to be back on the Brock train. Are you kidding? Like Brock comes out, and you can't help but cheer the guy. If, they, if, I, if he never showed up until Raw or maybe comes out and doesn't do anything, just kind of stands there, walks away, I think maybe then you could say, yeah, the crowd's going to go there, and they're going to boo Brock because they feel like he's not giving it 110%. But man, he went out there on Raw and fucking beat the hell out of this guy, and the crowd exploded. So I am full in on them probably cheering Brock and, and, and booing Reigns again. Or we get the WrestleMania where they just don't give a shit and they're they're fucking around with beach balls or whatnot. Well, I that's think, what I'm asking. Do you think we can get that? I don't know that we're going to get that. I think. Then again, this is a long ass show, so maybe it depends. I think it's really going to depend. Interestingly enough, and this is it's weird that they have to play this game a little bit. I think it's going to a lot depend on where they put this match. I think the best plan for this match is maybe to throw it into the middle or throw it somewhere not the because if after a five-hour show people are restless and they're just ready to bury that shit it could be a wrestlemania thing where they're just hitting around beach balls but i think that if it was in the middle of the show you might get a little bit more of the pro brock anti-roman crowd there's nowhere you're gonna put it to make it pro roman reigns and anti-brock there's nowhere in brooklyn other than moving it away from brooklyn and into an empty arena there's nothing you're going to do that's going to make people cheer for roman and boo brock so that's the weird thing is what reaction do they want if they want people to shit all over it 
main eventing it after a six hour show might be the best way if they want them to just kind of react naturally and which is going to be people cheering Brock and, and booing Reigns, maybe middle of the show. I, I don't know. They, there's a lot of maneuvering you have to do here. I would like to avoid the crowd just absolutely shitting on it. I would like if they at least cheered for one of the two guys, but I don't know. I'm just here for it, man. I don't care what happens. I just cannot wait to see it happen. So this is my most anticipated match on the entire show because it's just fascinating to see how this is going to be booked and how the crowd's going to react. I mean, this is the worst place in the world to try to book this in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center. So I don't know, man. It's going to be interesting to say the least. I don't know. That's a damn good idea to further crowd manipulation by putting it in the middle of the show because you could always main event with AJ Styles, Samoa Joe. Or yeah, even or Ronda Rousey. Rousey I would I would put Rousey at the main. So, really, I would really do that too. And you can. You I can... wonder if if I wonder if they're thinking like you are, and maybe to prevent a tired crowd from just entirely shitting on it, maybe you put it in the middle. I, you know, I'm just hoping for crowds shitting on it. I love that. You no, know I love that. <laughs> oh, I'm here I for it too. I mean, I would prefer people being like pro Brock, but man, if the crowd just wants to fuck around with beach balls and chant whatever they want, I I like it too. I like when it's in complete disarray and you know that Vince is throwing the headset and Michael Cole's trying to talk about the vocal crowd and and stuff like that. Like I'm I'm for that because you know the chaos that's ensuing around there. So I I enjoy chaos. I'm a man that 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 loves his chaos, and I know you are as well. So uh, all I know is it's not going to be boring, and I know this match is not going to be. Um, the WrestleMania one, you liked it. I fucking hated it because it was like after nine hours of wrestling. This one might be the same, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, I don't know. There was a weird thing with that Mania one because you thought it was going to be Roman coming back and then Brock just beat him. So it, like in retrospect, it was more fun. I don't know, man. I just can't wait for this match because it's going to just be madness. I didn't like the greatest Royal Rumble one, but whether these matches are good or they're bad, it always leads to a lot of talk. They're always <laughs> yeah. newsworthy, yeah. and it, there's always going to be something to talk about, which is good for us. AJ Styles, Samoa Joe is the SmackDown main event. I'd like to get through all of SummerSlam and NXT before we end the show. So let's uh, let's, let's it, expedite yeah. this. I don't think it's fair to put this behind a paywall. It's SummerSlam and it's it's uh, TakeOver Brooklyn. So AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, um, do you think if they stay out of the way here that Samoa Joe can channel 2005? Do you think these guys can have – I'm going to give you the over-under. Four flat is the over-under. What do you think? Um, I would probably take the over on that. I think these guys are going to. I, I think these two dudes, Samoa Joe, in a huge spot for him. AJ Styles with a guy that 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 he obviously has history with, that that he knows that he can have a great match with. I think we've seen Styles kind of skate by, knowing that he doesn't need to go out there and kill it. This is a match where I think Samoa Joe is going to want to go out there and kill it, and I think Styles will kind of rise to that occasion too, because we know Styles will, if if given the opportunity, rise to that occasion. This year he hasn't done it because he hasn't needed to, but I think this is one that he understands that this be a huge opportunity for these guys to both go out there and just kill it. So I'm, I'm going to go over on the four. I think I think we're 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 definitely in like match of the night territory for sure for these guys. And if it's anything less than four, I'm gonna be severely disappointed if it's anything less than that. I yeah, really, no, really I agree. Would, it, would, it would kill me if it was less than that. And AJ needs a great match. Yes. It would really I I think the future of AJ for me in my eyes would if he goes out here and just has another stinker, I kinda I'm done with AJ. You know what I mean? Like because it's like no, dude, we, we, like we look at AJ on these shows and like, oh, at least we have the AJ match, but they haven't been great in a long time. So he's getting by on reputation at this point. Um, so, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. In terms of if you're a match nerd, we need AJ to step up and, and deliver again. Or you're right, I'm going to lose faith in him. So uh, we've got Alexa Bliss, Ronda Rousey. Uh, maybe it goes on last. Who knows? Look, Bliss is a great talker and a perfect foil for Ronda. Uh, the build has been good. Ronda Rousey had her first match on Raw, and she just completely decimated Alicia Fox with those shoulder throws, which I thought was some of the best stuff on main roster WWE TV in a while. I, I am in the Ronda Rousey. Okay. 
Well, it proves that it's not hard. You know what I mean? Like it's it, it proves that like they know how to get people over. They know how to do this. They just don't. <laughs> you know what I mean? With the Rousey thing, it's like they know. They they they're not that stupid. They understand. They've they handled her perfectly from start. Yeah. They've handled her perfectly from start to finish. It gives me hope that we don't live in this world where we we think that things that used to be logical and used to work no longer work. They still fucking work. It's not yeah. hard. It's just they choose to not do it with ninety nine point nine percent of the roster. But with Ronda Rousey, they do, and it's it's awesome. So is it too early to beat Ronda Rousey um, with some kind of bullshit? Because that's the only way that you can book Blister. Yeah, beat. no, just have her fucking win, man. You know what I mean? Like, just don't don't overcomplicate it. Don't make it. I mean, I know it's weird because she would have the title maybe a little earlier than you'd want. And I guess that's the one concern that I would have. But I don't know. I just... Fuck it. She's the star. Yeah, let I, her be I, the look, champion. I mean, she was maybe, fine being the UFC this, champion. Like, they still drew pay-per-views with her. You maybe, know? maybe this is booking for me and you. I'd have her squash her. Just yeah. kick her ass and yeah, destroy oh, yeah. her and, 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 and put the title on her. And she's the fucking star. You know, you might have another legitimate potential difference-making main eventer here on your hands. So just fucking go put the pedal to the fucking metal and, and just go. Yeah, with don't, it. don't overthink this. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. So we've got Bludgeon Brothers versus New Day. Bludgeon Brothers have been booked to be very dominant. Uh, they're taking on the New Day here. Obviously, it does not fucking matter who wins. Um, you know, I don't know <laughs> what people want me to say about this. Who cares? Who cares? About Flip it. a coin. That, that team's going to win. So I, I hope it's a good match. Heads is Bludgeon yeah, Brothers. I, I flipped a coin. It's Tails, New Day. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I hope it's a good match. Right. Uh, Braun Strowman is taking on Kevin uh, Owens here. These sorry. guys have been. Mr. Monster in the Bank, Braun Strowman. Thank you. Yes, I apologize for uh, versus KO Kevin my transgression Owens. versus KO Kevin Owens. They've been feuding for some time. Will Braun Strowman almost kill Kevin Owens again? <laughs> Probably is the question. Is there something to throw him off of here? Yeah, is, what will be the highest point that you could throw Kevin Owens off of? We don't know. We'll find out. <laughs> is there a chance Owens can win this briefcase Okada style? Um, there is. I think they can nefariously do it. I don't think they're going to do it, though. I think they like the story of, of Braun. But I don't know. I, I've seen I've seen some people. I didn't think so. And then our preview that we put up on Voices of Wrestling today, a few people chose Owens to win this match and then to cash in, too, which, I, uh, you know, it's interesting. Because sometimes they just decide that this guy who doesn't seem like he's hot at all, they just decide this guy's going to win our time. You know, like, if I told you that Kevin Owens is going to walk out of SummerSlam as the champion, would you argue with me? Or would you say, yeah, yeah, probably, maybe. I don't know. That's a it's a definite possibility, <laughs> right? So I don't know. Like initially, I was like, "There's no chance in hell Braun's winning this," but now I'm like, ah, "I don't know, maybe." <laughs> like, I, I think I think he can win the briefcase, and I think he can walk out of here as champion. So um, you know, he would have to do it. Under some They've bullshit. already fucked up Braun anyway. So who, who gives a shit? Really? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. You know, they'd have to do it with some bullshit. Um, he's not going to beat Braun center of the ring with the fucking package <laughs> pile drum, okay? But uh, but <laughs> but there's but you know, it could definitely end up that way with them telling a story. Uh, we got Dolph Ziggler versus Seth Rollins with Dean Ambrose, who came back looking very different uh, from his injury. So now with Drew McIntyre out there, there's kind of an enforcer on Seth Rollins' side. I'm into this. I'll be into this. I'll check this out. Um, you know, my interest is in sky high, but have you had it with Ziggler Rollins and do you think Dean Ambrose freshens it up a little? Yeah, no, I, th- I think um, I think these guys have the potential to have a really good match because that Iron Man match just stunk. I mean, that that everybody knows it stunk. Those guys knew it stunk. The company knew it stunk. Everybody knew that overbooked. That thing was a disaster. So I know that these dude dudes are capable of having a good match if it's not overbooked. The problem though is Joe. <laughs> the problem as always when we talk about WWE and SummerSlam and whatnot, and I come in here gun shy. What over under? I, I don't know. I'll just do a flat fifty percent of Dean Ambrose. 
turning on Seth Rollins in this match. Oh, it's like 99%. Okay, then it's, he's going to turn on yeah, him. Right? And that's, that's a problem. I, it's like, I think Rollins and Ziggler could have a great match, but I'm anticipating Dean Ambrose turning on him. And if he doesn't, I'll be fine with it, but my entire match will be, ah, they're definitely going to have Ambrose turn on him. And if he turns on him, I wouldn't be surprised at all. So it's one of those things where the inclusion of him you know, this week makes me think, ah, Jesus, he's definitely turning on Seth right here, right now. So I, th- that hurts my enjoyment. And it probably shouldn't because they've given no indication that that's what's going to happen. But they've also given indication that's going to happen because just shit happens. So you know what I mean? that's why it's so hard to talk about this company. I don't know. <laughs> They'll have a great match. Dean can interfere. Drew can turn on Dolph. Who <laughs> fucking knows? Who knows? All right. We got Carmella, Becky Lynch, and I Charlotte like Flair. This feud I like. This one now, I look, like. I have nothing to say here because I don't give a shit about anything involving Carmella, but the floor is yours. Okay, this one is good. I really like this. I think because nothing matters with Carmella in this match. It might matter. She might win. Who knows? But I think the, the whole point of the story, which I really have enjoyed, is that it was supposed to be Carmella and Becky. Charlotte comes out and tries to help out Becky, and then she gets inserted randomly into the title match. And Becky just kind of is like, well, what the fuck? Like, why did you do that? Like, that's my spot, and you're taking it. Becky gets back in the match, and then there's that tension, too, between Becky and Charlotte, which I love. Because so often in this company, women are booked to just be happy for their friends. You know what I mean? Just okay with, you know what? I'm not in it, but you're getting opportunities. And oh my God, opportunities. And oh, this. Uh, Becky's going, no, no, fuck that. I don't want you to get the opportunity. This is my chance. And I love that. Becky's finally showing a little bit of a backbone. You know, that's been kind of the long thing about Becky Lynch. She's just kind of smiling, happy, and oh, okay, wash, shucks, whatever. Next time I'll go get them. This time I love that they showed emotion with her, that she was pissed. No. Don't take my spot. No, I was supposed to be in this match. Why are you in it here? So I love the idea that they're doing that. So I enjoy that. I'm going to enjoy seeing kind of the interactions between Becky and Charlotte. And God, I hope, God, I hope that Charlotte or Carmella loses the title here and you move on because anything that you do with Becky Lynch and Charlotte moving forward is going to be a million times better than anything with Carmella. So I really hope and pray that it's not some Carmella screw job, Ellsworth, whatever bullshit that happens. And I really hope that they just give Lynch and, and, and Flair one of those two wins the match, preferably Charlotte. And then Becky can kind of chase the title from there. I think that's the best story. I just really hope it's off Carmella, but we'll see. Carmella, um, Bliss, or both need to lose because I just I can't muster any interest. Well, they're the same either. character. They're the same character, and it's like in the same show when they're not good and they're not good. Yeah, I can't. Good, and that's the. Th- I know we can try to you know we can lie and tell ourselves that Alexa Bliss is good. She's not. She's not that good. She hasn't. She's, not a, had she's, a, she, she's a good. She's tremendous in her verbal performances sure. and. Oh, she's a great character, but I, I can't get, you know, she's great performing her character, I should right. say. I can't get into either of these title runs. It's just not my cup of tea. And I hope at least one of them lose so I can get into this stuff again. Right. Because as of now, I can't. is exploding with talented women wrestlers. You know what I mean? Like, really? And, and the other problem, too, is kind of the juxtaposition of, of doing this evolution. We're moving on and we're doing all this sort of stuff. And one of your champions proudly calls herself a diva. And the other one is Alexa Bliss, who cheats and, and, and wins and kind of does the same thing as well. So it's like, you know, you can have great women wrestlers have your titles or you can have, quote, what she calls herself, divas do that. Wouldn't it be better in the evolution to have the, the good women wrestlers as opposed to the, quote, divas or whatever? I mean, that that's I don't fun. know what would be better for your gen pop WWE fan, but it'd be better for me if they lost. Yeah, and that's what I'm concerned with here. And I'm, I just, you know, it's... It, I'm so hoping and praying both of them lose it right here. It'd be so much of a better company if Ronda Rousey's your Raw champion and Becky or Charlotte is your SmackDown champion. So much better than overall, that entire division. Cedric Alexander defends the Cruiserweight title against Drew Gulak. This is they very well built. Just couldn't put it on the main show, Joe. Just they, they, there's make no the time. Cut. There's, there's no time. It just no couldn't time. make the cut, guys. Maybe, maybe next time. No you know, time. People might watch your fucking show if they know 
that it exists by putting it on. Yeah, whatever. You can't fit <laughs> 27 matches, nine hours, Sorry. and you can't find time on the whatever. No, no, not show's <laughs> not long enough. But uh, Drew Gulak has been built very well on 205 Live. Do we need the Elias concert? Maybe we don't have the Elias concert, you know? Yeah, fuck that. Why is that on the show? I know. That's going to be so big because it's going to be like three hours in. And I like the drift. No, I do too. I just don't want to see him. I'm like, yeah, I mean, come on. But anyway, so Gulak has been very well built. Um, They've done a tremendous job with him. The go home angle was good where he choked out Cedric Alexander after Cedric Alexander beat Jack Gallagher. Um, uh, in the main event this week on 205 Live. Did you know that um, – did you know, Rich, and I know we're trying to fly through here. Did you know that style battle number two winner, Tracer X, was on 205 Live? I heard this. this. I did not see it, but I'm, uh, I'm now I'm interested in seeing it. How do you do? Yes, he lost to I Hideo Itami. Well. Oh. He, uh, by ref stoppage because he got knocked the fuck out. Oh, so, no. Um, doesn't say a lot for the style battle brand uh, that one of their winners – uh, was defeated so easily by washed up Hideo Itami, <laughs> right, yeah. but uh, but but that was the case. But anyway, this is why I love two hundred five live. It's almost, it's almost like the style battle, you know, the, the winner. It, it almost seems worthless, which is a, a, a damn shame because that was one of the most prestigious tournaments of all time. So it's it sucks that it's been buried so quickly. So a correction: Trent Newman lost to Atami, but do you know how I know he was Tracer X? Did he look like Tracer X? It said Tracer X on his tights. So that was my <laughs> first clue that Trent Newman was, in fact, oh, uh, WWN stalwart Tracer oh, X. But anyway, that's that's hilarious. This has been well built. Uh, since I'm the 205 Live guy, I'll take this one. Yeah, please uh, go ahead. I think Gulak's winning, and I think it'll be the beginning of the long, slow road to Mustafa Ali taking his rightful place as the ace of 205 Live. So uh, I think that works better, obviously, if a heel is the champion. And uh, I love what they're doing on that show with Mustafa Ali, where he's a babyface whose weakness is that he works too fucking hard mm-hmm. and he's exhausted. To the point of literal exhaustion. Like he he passed out <laughs> the other day. Which is... Yeah. And and it, and it sounds goofy, but it I works. Like it. It works. And I like it. Yeah. No, I actually and do like it a lot. It's actually really fun. It's actually really the, well done. His gimmick is that he works hard. I mean, it doesn't get more babyface than that, but uh, <laughs> I do think Gulak wins here. I think Cedric Alexander is a competent performer who's done a nice job, but there's just no juice there. Actually, and, sorry, uh, sorry to interrupt you real quick, but there was the um, – I think it was maybe two weeks ago where he passed out, and the ref kept asking him what year it was, and he kept answering it correctly, but the ref kept asking him. I wasn't sure what happened in that segment. Right. Well, here's the thing. If that was raw, he would have been saying 1987. Right. They don't hammer you over the head with it on 205 Live. He was, was giving saying, the correct answer. But then why the ref keep asking him? Well, I don't know. He should have asked him a different question. He <laughs> right. should have said president. He kept saying, yeah. what year is it? Then he would say 2018. What year is it? <laughs> <laughs> All right. I can't defend that. But... <laughs> I was like, he said it right. He's fine. Like, he's ready to go. Get him back out there. He's good to go. Yeah. He answered your questions. That, that I can't defend. He should have had a second question available. Well, see, I don't know if he fucked up. It was supposed to be 2019, or he just, like, Mustafa doesn't know the year or, like, thought it was 2017. I, I just found that segment just hilarious. I was like, he's got it right. Like, let him be back in the match. He's clearly, you know, he's fine. He's good to go. He knows the president. No, he knows, you're, knows thinking, it is. Like, you're thinking, oh, wait, this man's fit for competition. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. He sure. He's exhausted and passed out and definitely needs to be carried out, but he got the year right, so he can't be that fucked up. So we've got Shinsuke Nakamura versus Jeff Hardy. This, of course, is for the prestigious United States Championship. Uh, a rematch from yeah. uh, from from when Nakamura when won Jeff this Hardy thing. was so hurt that he couldn't even wrestle. Remember that? 
That's right. Despite working 12 minute house show matches the entire week. So uh, do you let me, let me ask you this, because no one really cares about this this title or who wins it or anything else. But uh, don't you think it's interesting that Nakamura supposedly left New Japan because he was tired of holding a secondary title? And, <laughs> and now now he holds like a fourth string title in WWE. That's number one. Number two, do you care? about Shinsuke Nakamura no. at all at this point. I'm just not even going to let you finish that question because no, I don't. I don't care about anything about Shinsuke Nakamura. Don't give a shit. And this match, Randy, Randy Orton's going to run out at some point and fuck it up. So, Well, Jeff Hardy fucking sucks. And, and he's injury or no injury, he's not good anymore. Um, so, yeah. Do you care about Finn Balor versus the Constable Baron Corbin? Because they've got themselves a rematch, mister, that everybody wanted to see. <laughs> Uh, Wait, did you say Constable? I didn't hear you say Constable, did you? I said Constable okay, Baron Corbin. I wouldn't disrespect a man like that. No, no, he was the Constable He didn't Baron shave Corbin. his head for me to disrespect him. He didn't <laughs> shave his head and buy a $28 dress shirt from 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 Coles for me to disrespect him. I was going to throw so, TJ Maxx in there. Coles is a good good pull there for that one. Right. So no, no care. <laughs> I don't care. What did no you say about this? Him. Who fucking cares? So yeah. we've got Rusev and Lana taking on Andrade Cien. Uh, Almas and Zelina Vega, which is exactly how we were hoping Andrade Cien Almas was going to be used coming off his hot NXT run in the, mixed tag action on the pre-show. As the manager of Zelina Vega. As the manager of Zelina Vega, correct. This is exactly how we were hoping he'd be used. So why don't we just move on to what we really want to talk about, what everyone wants to talk about. And that's Daniel Bryan versus The Miz. They're finally mm-hmm. doing it. I thought they rushed the build, uh, honestly. Um you know, obviously they've been building it for years, but I thought they rushed it in the sense that maybe they could have built it up over a period of months and months for like Royal Rumble or WrestleMania or something oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, no, it should it have kind been of just came, came together in one pay-per-view cycle. Yeah, that's, um, that sucks. It should have been from the moment Brian came back, always kind of in the back of his mind that this match is happening, this match is going to happen. And the the, the thing is, and, and this week on SmackDown, they ran great video packages showing the, the history of these two. And it was they were really well done, but they were packed, all three of them were packed into the go-home show. And they never, ever aired on any of the other shows this shit should have been running for a month you know what i mean like these constant things these because they do great i mean they're, they're these like dan o'brien is is back being interviewed and he's talking about his comeback and that sort of stuff miz is in the back doing you know miz things or whatnot they could have really done some great stuff with those video packages and have it feel real but then they also had the weird build that i hated with like dan o'brien going to the miz and, and miz's set and like the miz hitting him with a glass vase over the head and like shit like that you know they made it wwefied and they didn't need to and then on this week's smackdown it was exactly what i wanted the build to be the entire time just tell the fucking real story of these guys you have all the footage we all know it just tell that story don't have them attacking each other on videos on movie sets and, and tv show sets and shit like that that you don't need that stuff you don't need that you have all the story you have all the footage right there this match could this match could have been built for months just with video packages and interviews they chose to kind of do their pack it all into a month and show the packages at the end of the last show Th- that's what kind of sucks it, if you watch just the go home smackdown you're ready for this match and you're excited about this match the problem is like you said they kind of rushed it and the stuff before this just wasn't that good and didn't really light you on fire i'm still excited about it i'm still looking forward to it i think they just could have done so much more with it I agree. I question whether they would even get this match done because I thought there was a chance Brian would leave. He still hasn't signed, by the way. Still saying he's going to. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I felt like this maybe should have been a WrestleMania match, but it's SummerSlam. It's a minor gripe. It's whatever. I just thought it was one a, a one pay-per-view cycle build, and they could have done a better job. Let's move on before we run out of time to a show. The safest bet in wrestling, Rich. And that's NXT TakeOver. And this is NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4. I've been saying three all day 
on like pay audio and everything. I, I don't know what fucking number this is anymore. It's four. four. Yep. That's what we're dealing with. Okay, so NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4. I'm sure I have angry uh, emails and tweets already for calling it three all day long. I'm in love with this show. There's only one match here that I'm a little iffy on. Why don't we start with that one? Velveteen Dream EC3. Oh, Velveteen really? Dream. This is the one you're iffy yeah. on? Oh, okay. I mean, I thought the build has been goofy. I didn't like the thing where EC3 threw him into the pool. I thought it was dopey. <laughs> that was um, I think Velveteen Dream is still super green, and EC3 is not very good. So this, the floor for this, I think, is, an, is it falls apart, and it's terrible. Uh, I do think, though, for some reason, my gut is telling me it's going to be good. But there's no way it can be any better than the fifth best match on this show. Sixth best if you count Pete Dunne, Zach Gibson, which will be on NXT next week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, I'm hoping for the best with this match. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. You, you you like this match? You like the build I, I like here? The build. I like the build a little bit. I mean, yeah, the, the you know – the Velveteen Dream experience with going to his house and stuff. That was goofy and, and, and silly. But everything else they've done with this build, I've enjoyed. And I thought the promo battle uh, they had on the go-home uh, NXT, the one that aired uh, just this week, was really good. And I thought EC3 was really – felt like he was in his element right here. And you could tell the difference. I mean, that dude's promo and charisma and, and, and to an extent, Velveteen Dreams as well. Those guys are head and shoulders above almost anybody else in NXT and maybe even over a lot of the main roster in terms of how they can cut promos, their charisma, how they can kind of control a crowd and whatnot. So I enjoyed that promo battle. But as I mentioned in the review, that's that's uh, by the time most of you guys listen to this or my preview, I should say, uh, that's up at voiceofwrestling.com uh, is that, yeah, the, the problem, though, is that they have to get in the ring, that the bell has to ring. And that I have very little confidence in these guys. Velveteen Dream can rise to an occasion if he's there with a guy that's good. If he's with a cashier. So if he's in like a ladder match with all these other guys, EC3 is no ricochet. Yeah, that is the issue is on the other side of the ring is EC3, who I don't know that anybody can get him to a level and he's certainly not going to get anybody to a level. So that's going to be the problem is that he's just not a very good worker. Uh, even on the NXT shows that he's been having matches, you know, he had a, a, a squash esque match a, a few weeks ago. That just was not very good. He's just not good. He's just not a good wrestler. Great charisma, great talker, great look, great everything. Just not a great wrestler. So that's going to be an issue here is that Dream's going to have to kind of be the, the, the lead man here. And that's probably not good, but like you said, you never bet on a, on a bet against a takeover, so it's probably going to be good. But like you said, it could be a disaster too. But I think they might have enough bells and whistles to make it pretty solid. Undisputed Era Mustache Mountain, early a few weeks ago on NXT, had the best tag team match of the year, probably the best, um, uh, arguably the best WWE match of the year. Although you get some arguments for um, Johnny Gargano versus uh, C Almas. And, you know, a match that I think will do very well in, in overall match of the year voting. They had a great six-man tag. Uh, these two sides have been feuding forever, and every match is awesome. Tyler Bate and Roderick Strong had a great singles match this week. Look, even when Bobby Fish was healthy, Undisputed Era had a great match against uh, Lorcan and Birch. So Undisputed Era is money in these situations. This feud has been the best bell-to-bell feud maybe in wrestling this year. Is there any way that this doesn't fucking go? It's just going to be incredible. Right? No, it's going to be great. Yeah, and I, I said that one on NXT TV. I, I, I mentioned it in this preview as well. Uh, and I was super late to watching it, which I'm just a fucking idiot. I watched it like this week. You know, even though everybody told me to go watch it. And I was like, ah, yeah, yeah, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I felt like such an idiot when that match was over. Because, Joe, that might be my favorite, one of my favorite tag matches of all time. I fucking love that match. And the simplicity of it as well. I mean, Ty- Trent Seven is in a hold, uh, in a leg lock for like, you know, 
five minutes and it's like the most excruciating five minutes of your life these guys aren't doing anything nuts it's just the emotion of tyler Bate deciding fuck do i do i throw the towel in do i not trent seven saying no don't do it like five minutes of that which seems like it would get boring but it doesn't it builds it builds it builds and and trent seven man i became a trent seven believer watching this match and i'm so glad i saw this and i'm so glad i finally watched that match because that is Definitely vaulted up my match of the year list. It's going to be in contention. It's going to be there. It's going to get votes for me. And it might be one of my favorite tag matches of all time. Like, I loved it that much. And that's the problem is that I'm wondering if this can deliver on that level. But seeing what these guys can do and knowing what these guys are capable of, I think it can, especially on this stage in a big-time match. So I cannot wait to see this match. But, yeah, if you have not watched it, I believe it's the July 11th uh, t- uh, NXT Watch. You have to watch that before you watch the takeover. You absolutely, I, I implore you, you cannot do match of the year without watching that tag match. It is next level great, and I am so fucking stupid for waiting as long as I did to watch it. Yeah, watch the whole feud. The stuff from the, the UK tournament and the six-man matches, the same, mm-hmm. everything. And um, I think I said Bobby Fish was in that last takeover match. He wasn't. He was already hurt by that. I don't know why I said that. Um, but uh, the, the Lorcan and Birch match, that, that, that wasn't Fish, right? That was Strong and O'Reilly. So uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, I don't know why I said that. Uh, Adam Cole defends the North American title against Ricochet. I think this title is redundant. I think it was very obvious that the only reason they created this title is because they wanted to belt up Adam Cole. They wanted him as a champion, but didn't want to ruin the Johnny Gargano Tommaso Ciampa arc. So they had to create this dopey title for Adam Cole. I hope one day that it goes away. He defends against Ricochet. We all know Ricochet is great. I think he's not long for NXT. And I think that Adam Cole is a smart guy who knows when to deliver in and 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 in what spots he needs to deliver in. And I think this is going to be great. I think Adam Cole is going to step up here and be right on the level of Ricochet. And they're going to go out there and fucking kill it. Are you uh, on the same wavelength, or are you just so down on Adam Cole that you don't think that will? Occur? Yeah, I'm pretty down on Adam Cole, and I think one of the issues that I have with this match is, and I think it's going to be better than Velveteen and EC3. But I thought the build of this match kind of stunk, like. Ricochet was basically non-existent, and it's just Adam Cole cutting those Undisputed Era promos in the back, talking about how, like, ah, you know, you're, you you say you're the best, but I'm the best, and it's like all it was. It was like, and yes, that's simple, and that's, you know, simple for us in storytelling, but it needed a little bit more for me. It needed a little bit more juice to get me excited for the match. With that said, I think these guys are going to still have a pretty solid match. I'm just not as excited as you because I thought the build kind of stunk. And I'm not a big Adam Cole guy. So I need to be wowed by Adam Cole to believe it. Ricochet is obviously one of the best going and and an incredible wrestler, one of the best wrestlers in the world right now. So I have no doubt that he's going to deliver on some level. It's just going to be Adam Cole. It's going to be up to to, for for me, at least to see Adam Cole deliver. And then I can maybe buy in a little bit more. But but I'm I'm apprehensive because Adam Cole has disappointed me time and time again. And I just don't know. I I don't know. I, I don't see him as as rising to the occasion, maybe the same way you do. But we'll see. I hope I'm wrong. I want this to be great. And I think that it's got the potential to be great. I just need to be proved uh, or I need to be Adam Cole needs to prove it, prove it to me before I kind of believe it Cole. or actually predict it. Cole's a smart guy. He knows he doesn't have a tag team to rely on here. He's going to deliver. That's my prediction. I, I really think that um, that he will deliver in a big spot here. Uh, this match I know is going to deliver. Shayna Baszler carries saying this is my second most anticipated match behind the tag match. I've loved every fucking second of this build. I am the world's biggest Shayna Baszler fan. I loved Carrie Sane delivering the three elbow drops to uh, whatever geek she wrestled this week. I think it was Aaliyah. Um, to, to really send a message to Baszler that she's coming for her and, and she's going to be violent. I cannot fucking wait for this. I am in love with Shayna Baszler. I, I love her character. I love her gimmick. I love her awkward-ass fucking, uh, you know, t- t- tough woman promos. I love it, and I cannot wait for this match. I'm right with you, man. I, I, I 
as I as we say, we're we're pro Brock on the main roster too, which you know is a very <laughs> that island is getting you know much less populated as time goes on. But I'm the same way with Baszler, man. The reason why I love her is because she's so much different than the rest of the show. Her matches feel different, even the matches that are prolonged. Like she had that one with Candice LeRae a few weeks ago at NXT. They they may last a little uh, bit longer. Candice LeRae was so awesome in that match. I mean, yes, and and Baszler. Yeah, I love that match a lot. And yeah, it was a little bit back and forth and 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 Cancel Ray had some hope spots, but the awesome part is that you just never know when a Shayna Baszler match is going to end. You were watching that match thinking that it could end in a minute, it can end in 5 minutes or it can end whenever it did end, which I think was like 7 minutes or 8 minutes or whatever. But there's the idea that whenever she locks you, whenever she's got you, she's got you and you're fucking done. And Candice had those hope spots. It was fun and it was interesting, but then when Shayna just needed to lock it in and beat her, she just did. And that's the awesome thing with with Shayna Baszler and why I love her so much is that the the matches are great because they are just they just feel different than anything on that that roster they just feel unique and they feel different and she's just no nonsense she's simple we say processing is very simple at times she just wants to be the best she has the title everybody else go for her and that's like you know I'm, I'm, you know, in the preview, I'm wondering to myself, okay, well, it would make sense if Kyrie Sane got the w- the win, and maybe she could win the title and prolong this a little bit. But then another part of me says, we'll just have Shane and Baszler win, and I see the idea that if Baszler just beats Kyrie Sane, then Baszler's so much head and shoulders above the rest of the roster. And then I thought to myself, is that a problem? I think that's fine. Have Shane and Baszler win. Have her just prove that she, fuck, she's better than everybody. Who the hell is going to be able to beat her? Because it's going to mean that much more when somebody eventually does beat her. But I think I'm, I'm, Kyrie Sane, the build's been great. And I hope that it's a great match, and I think it's going to be a great match. But I am totally fine if if Kyrie Sane goes for a second elbow drop and Baszler just catches her and chokes her out and beats her. You know what I mean? Like that's the finish that I want. I want it to be good back and forth, and I want Kyrie Sane to feel like she's almost going to win, and then Baszler just locks her in that choke, and it's over, and it's like shit. Who's going to beat Shayna Baszler? Because I love the idea that she's just so much head and shoulders above everybody else, and that nobody has an answer for. Her. I like that idea. I, I was kind of I was worrying that that would be, but no, push her. You know what I mean? Like she's the king shit in the division. That's fine. Have her be that. I, I think that's the best way to go about it. So where do you stand on on her winning uh, versus Sane? I I like her the win, and I'm really not going to think too hard about. it. I just want to enjoy it. I really think I love the dynamic here. I love the build, and and yeah, I I, I will be rooting for Shayna Baszler. Yeah, and this I'm is the most they've done with Kyrie Sane as well. I mean, she's showing some yeah. personality, like you said, those three elbow drops and then staring daggers yep. at Shayna Baszler was awesome because you know a lot of times she comes out and does her little high step thing and oh I am a captain and all this that, uh, and I love boats and mm-hmm. this was like no <laughs> this is this is real deal Kyrie Sane here she drops those elbows and points at Baszler like you're you're next and I love that it was like yeah here we go like this is this is the stuff I love just simple build there's nothing crazy here it's just Kyrie Sane wants to be. Santa Baszler and win the title and Baszler's, you know, taking her lightly because she's Santa Baszler and she needs to take her lightly because she's killing everybody on the roster. So it's cool. It's good stuff. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to this match, too. All right. So you got to be concise. We're just about out of time. Ciampa Gargano. More melodramatic bullshit. Alistair Black is out of the match. I would love to riff on the NXT who done it. We just don't have time. <laughs> oh my we just God. don't have time. Oh, I want to so bad, Joe. I, I riffed oh. on it on, on TV reviews today. We can't do it. There's no time. Um, Thankfully, look, though, I, you can go to voicewrestling.com. We have a 37-part uh, series uh, breaking down each person's uh, reasons for attacking Alistair Black. So if you were wondering how why Axel Leader did it, we have a 10,000 words on voicewrestling.com right now. Uh, doing it why we're Wesley Blake. Yeah, Wesley, Wesley Blake or Steve Cutler we have a, an article 10,000 words on every single guy of why they did it um so you can definitely check that out voice wrestling Cass- uh, Cassius Ono was too busy trying to fuck so I don't think <laughs> yeah he was just it. like I just want to eat, eat fuck man he's like there's babes at a table 
eating food. I'm I just going to be talking to him. That's right. There was definitely I'm a little... my jersey. I'm wearing my jersey and my trunk. <laughs> yeah. That's the best part of the entire Who Done It that everyone's in their gear. Everyone's oh, in their fucking gear, so just geeky. hanging out outside. I hated of that stuff. Joe. I hated that video so much with everything. Why is Lars? Why is Why is Lars Sullivan <laughs> just walking into a forest? Or- Meandering around full sail in his trunks in the middle of the night. I mean, it's part just of so this like a college campus too, which is the best. And it's just like imagine just filming this, and they're just like, <laughs> like the video was ridiculous. Like the undisputed era in Corvettes, like their greasers, you know, with their their cigarettes rolled up into their sleeves, like driving away to the you know going to the the, the fucking drive-in. <laughs> they're peeling off like high school boys who just set fire to a to a fucking mailbox right, in their go convertible to, yeah. car. Gonna go, some, go get some olive burgers at the local. Drive- <laughs> yeah. So, so look, it's a last man standing match. <laughs> it's it's, to like Steve Cutler and those guys. Like, get the fuck out of here! It's like, gonna be. Why are so many people hanging around? Shouldn't somebody be in the building? Like, what were they all doing? Why would they go home? Please. Well, see, they're all outside, but nobody knows who attacked Black. Go, even though they're they all outside, outside. Go, home. go home. Even though Heavy Machinery filmed it, nobody knows <laughs> right. who attacked Black. Okay. It's utterly ridiculous. Oh, I hated it so much. I hated it. So, um, anyway, it's a last man standing match. It's going to be more of the same. I think they're going to have a really good match, as usual, dragged down by melodrama. And yeah, that's all I have to Ciampa say. Ciampa staring at his hands. Gargano saying, I need to do this. I have to do this. This is all I have to do. I love both these guys. Gargano's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Ciampa's a guy I, I watched a ton coming up in the Midwest and, and really love him and, and stuff. I am so ready for these guys to just go away and not face each other ever again. I never thought I would say that because the match is going to be fine, but I'm just so over it. I'm so, so over it. And I would have been the same way if Alistair Black was in this match too, but I just don't want to see these guys ever again in a match together. It's just, it's been done to fucking death. And I'm just, and the problem too is I don't think Gargano wins again. I think Chapa wins again. So I don't even know what the hell any of the point of this is going to be. So I don't know. I just want it to be over and never have these two face each other ever again. So, all right. We will, uh, Looks like we're going to be back, correct, for a uh, quick overrun. Yeah, let's do a quick overrun. We got to talk. Uh, we got to talk. Joey Janela's uh, loss in New York coming up this weekend, and then we also have a uh, Evolve in progress the weekend that was uh, for them. So we will uh, do that on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Voices of Wrestling. We we'll have the overrun. Uh, so check out, uh, check that out. And yeah, anyway, for this flagship, we are signing off. So that was Joe Lanza. I'm Rich Creation. We'll see you next time on the Voice of Wrestling flagship podcast. Take care. <laughs>